Take two, episode 223, Below Average Joe's MMA podcast, and action. Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast, episode 223, attempt number one. Um, I am one half of your hosting duo. I'm Noah Baker. I come to you from the great state of Indiana. Yeah. Not Hawkins. Like no. the, I've, I'm watching Stranger Things season four, people. I'm on the finale, so I have binge-watched the shit. Mm-hmm. Out of that show since you've last seen me. I'm from Jeffersonville, Indiana. Right. The man to my right, however. Yes. He comes from the great state of Ohio. Yes. So, Dominic, how are things going for you? Uh, obviously, a lot's been going on lately. You got your master's degree now. You're hit, you're doing a little bit of something with the bangs there. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I mean, I feel like you're kind of reminding me of like... do, you, do you, do you remember the old like Spider-Man, like Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? Yeah, I feel like this is your like Spider-Man three. Phase, Spider-Man Part Three. I'm wearing the black. Like, it has the emo yeah. cut. This is your version of being emo. You got a little bit of bangs showing. Yeah. How yeah. how are you, Dom? I just want to know. I'm doing good. It's actually funny. You talk about how you're in the great state of Indiana. I'm in Ohio. No, I'll be venturing over to to your new state of residence tomorrow, the day that this episode's out. We're taking a little family road trip. We're still going to be far away from you. We're going to be about two hours away from you, unfortunately, or I would venture into Jeffersonville. So you're going more to Indianapolis, perhaps? Um, A little bit, yeah, kind of central. It's a little small town with like a bunch of little mom-and-pop shops. We went there years ago when I was a kid. Um, Metamora. Metamora, Indiana. I believe that's where we're going. There's a Metamora, Ohio, too. There is, yes. But I guess there's like a little canal that runs through the town, and we're just going to go there, take a little day trip. Nothing to do. Parents are on vacation. We're getting out of the house for a little awesome. bit. Awesome. So, yeah, I'll be in Indiana tomorrow. Uh, I may even have to dabble into some sports betting myself when I'm over there and I cross oh, that yeah. when I cross that state border. But uh, I'm doing well, man. We're heading into the weekend. The UFC is back in London, and I'm telling you, if it even half as much delivers as the first time in March, we're in for a great day of fights. Bellator's back for the first time in eight years. Excited to see what their card does this weekend. And we get to break it all down along with some – pretty big news Noah so uh how are you as we get going I'm doing well you're coming to Indiana this Friday I'll be back in Ohio. <laughs> yeah yeah we're flipping. I'll actually be kind of finishing up moving out the rest of my stuff from Bowling Green the town that me and Dom called home for at many least years five, five six years yeah. and yeah. it's Long what time. a journey what a journey it's been it's kind of bittersweet but God damn it! I gotta get it out of there eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this August this August first date that I have to be out came up very quick. I'd say I was literally in the mountains last week, and I sat there, <laughs> and my mom goes, "You know, my mom, great woman. I always have to preface that before I complain a little bit. She always has this way of just like dragging me back into reality. You know, <laughs> I I like to live up in the clouds, and she just right. likes to pull me back in. Right, you know? right." So I'm, I'm laying there outside in a rocking chair, just going. Like an Breathing old in that fresh air. Yeah, I'm just having a good old morning. And she goes, so when are you going to move your stuff out of Bowling Green? <laughs> and I was like, fuck. I'm like, if I don't do it next weekend, then I'm going to be on a time crunch to do it the weekend after because yeah. I have to be out by a certain time. Yeah. So this weekend it is. Um, that will make things a little dicey with uh, catching... All the yeah, UFC shout out to London. the daytime card. 
Yeah, it would have been nice to have one more than normal time. But, you know, I, it is what it is. I could make that drive Friday if I wanted to, but it's four hours. Instead, I'm going to cut it in half. And yeah. Two hours to home, mom's house anyway. Another two hours to BG, stay at mom's Saturday, go back to Indiana Sunday. So, you know, I have it all planned out. But because of that, I'm already going to have to watch some of these fights a little delayed. It, yeah. it kind of sucks. Through but, the car speaker, you know. Yeah, I'm going to be listening. I'm going to be, my plan is to, I'll probably be leaving around the time the prelims start at noon. Yeah. I hope. That's my hope. That's the plan. I'm trying, I'm trying to get down there by the latest 10. Okay, gotcha. And we do have to get a U-Haul to get, like, count, actually to get the furniture that you so graciously oh, yeah. gave me. The package deal. Um, yeah. Yes. So uh, <laughs> that furniture has no place to go, unfortunately, anymore. Mm-hmm. So we will be renting a U-Haul to take it to the dump, nice. unfortunately. But um, because of that, that's going to cause, you know, some time to do that. Absolutely. So then hopefully I'll be able to leave around noon. That means for probably most of the prelims, I'll be listening to them through my car speaker. Yeah. And then when I get home, I'll be able to. Right on time. I'll watch the whole main card and whatever else live, and then I'll have to go back and watch those fights later. But it's all fine. I get to watch Bellator live because it's a later card. So I'll be able to check all those out live. It is what it is. It has to be done. But it, I'm doing good, Dom. It feels kind of good to be productive. You know? Yeah, you got to love it, man. And honestly, we got to just stop, like, no more side chat. footing around here. Yeah. yeah. No no more of this, like, we're going in, right? Yeah. There's yes. no more lubing it up. Just stick her in, right? Yeah, exactly. So, Dominic, before we do, though, I want you to remind everyone where they can find us on social media. You can find us, the podcast, above my head, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, at B-A-J underscore MMA podcast. You can find me at DCLE14. You can find Noah at NTBaker underscore fish and chips. Let's go. What is, where, where, where is that coming from? Because you text that to me. Isn't that uh, like a so. like a proper meal over there in London, right? The fish and chips, and then they kind of have like <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess it is. I guess that is yeah. Uh, yeah. So I I was like kind of confused. I didn't know if there was <laughs> another meaning to that, but no, just a a fine English cuisine. I see. So absolutely, our main event of UFC London from the O2 Arena. Mm. We'll see Curtis Blades in his second main event this year following yeah. UFC Columbus. Yeah, shout out. He could, he does come in, though, Dom, at a slight underdog, plus 110 via DraftKings as it stands. He's number four ranked heavyweight in the division. He'll be taking on number six, two spots down. Tom Aspinall also making his second main event of the year following the first UFC London yep. card. He is at a minus 130. A lot of movement with this line. Uh, in the the days leading up i i I remember seeing it a a week or two ago and it was kind of flipped like blades was a slight favorite aspinall slight underdog so now it seems like the tide is turning a little bit my question for you to kind of start our discussion today would be about tom aspinall okay he is someone that you have been riding high on for a long time. I'm a little yep. late to the game on Tom Aspinall. Like, you have been kind of telling me since we started this podcast, even before that, Tom Aspinall, I think you even said it on this podcast multiple times, future heavyweight champion. I don't He's know when. You, 
I don't know when you first said that. I want to say it was the Arlovsky fight. You might even said it before that. <laughs> yeah. But you said, mark my words, future heavyweight champ. Yeah. But, Dominic, is this his toughest test against Curtis Blades before potentially fighting for that heavyweight title? Absolutely. It has to be, right? Because everyone's toughest fight at heavyweight is against Curtis Blades, I feel like. This dude, uh, just his wrestling and grappling, man, you don't see it uh, in the heavyweight division. The closest thing to it is a guy that's brand new to the UFC and Alexander Romanov, but he's still a ways back right now. Curtis has been doing (laughs) this for years and years when no one else really has been at heavyweight. And for that reason alone, it is the toughest fight. And not to mention, Noah, if we remember and Columbus that we got to see in person, Curtis Blades got some hands too. He knocked out a boxer in Chris Dawkins with relative ease 17 seconds into the second round. Uh, this is a great fight. It's a great test for uh, really both guys because Curtis, the poor guy, has always been right there, right on the damn cusp of grabbing that title shot, and then he loses. Two losses to Ngannou, a loss to Derek Lewis. Now he's got Tom Aspinall. He's you know he's fighting another up-and-comer. This is two in a row. Because Dawkins and Aspinall were kind of both on that race. Who's going to get there first to title contention? Tom Aspinall has jumped out in front quite considerably now. But can he get past Curtis Blades because Dawkins could not? So it's absolutely his hardest test. We haven't seen Tom really get tested with another grappler, with a wrestler, especially to the caliber of Curtis Blades. you got to think we're going to see it here. On the feet, I still think it's ultra-competitive too. But the speed and overall boxing technique of Aspinall probably goes in his favor but uh this really checks all the boxes i think it's a huge fight and for curtis blades to pull out the kahunas and go to london to be in tom aspinall's backyard i think says a lot about curtis blades too a guy that really hasn't been probably given the due that he's earned dare i say in the ufc a lot of people kind of hit or miss on him but curtis blades twitter did start in march so don't forget curtis blades twitter is a thing now um but yeah i love it man and it absolutely is the hardest fight for Tom Aspinall on paper, and I would imagine when he gets in the cage Saturday night as well. Yeah, obviously a lot of pressure. I mean, he's kind of been here already. He did this just a few months ago. That was his first main event. Yeah. Before that, he hadn't been in front of a crowd of more than a thousand, I think. Yeah, like a thousand yeah. people, and he was main eventing UFC London with Alexander Volkov. Made it look easy there. Yeah, Curtis Blades, a completely different style matchup. He probably won't be able to go to the same old tricks that he did against Volkov. Curtis Blades, the best wrestler in the entire division. It's yeah. no doubt. He That's his bread and butter. That Honestly, you could probably call him one-dimensional, and, and there'd be a case for it. Yeah. I'm not saying I agree with it. And I know that comes off like a big slight, but his that's how good he is at what he's good at. Yes. That even if the rest of his game is not fully fleshed out, doesn't really need to be. Right. Because he is so dominant at what he does. Now, he's obviously been on the receiving end of some pretty gnarly finishes, the Derek Lewis knockout. Um, and then he's lost to Ngannou twice, who's the current heavyweight yep. champion. That's it. That's it. That's, that's it. everybody. Yeah. Um, everybody else, it's not only he wins, he makes it pretty dominant. And yep. yeah, sometimes it's not the most exciting fights to watch. You know, he is a heavy wrestler. Doesn't have many, he has no submissions actually in his entire career. So it doesn't really play that kind of game. Not a jujitsu guy. Yeah. But he does have good ground and pound. Let's not forget the elbows that put away Alistair Overeem back oh. in the day. Oh. Never forget CM Punk was put on the main card against Mike Jackson over that fight, but That's a I, tough I, I, I digress. <laughs> um, 
I love Curtis Blades. I love the skill set. I do think, though, Tom Aspinall is the more well-rounded fighter. Right. Tom Aspinall has proven that he kind of has it everywhere. And while we knew he had the makings of being one of the more well-rounded guys our heavyweight division has ever seen, I think what's been so shocking is while we were busy kind of throwing all these roses at Surreal Gone, and rightfully so, Surreal Gone is exceptional, we saw the holes against Ngannou at UFC yeah. 270. Yeah. Holes that we had not been prepared to see. Mm-hmm. Tom Aspinall has yet to show us that. Yep. And that'll be interesting in this fight. Will we see him vulnerable at all? Will there be a round where he's on his back and is not able to get up and Curtis Blades controls him, lands some nice ground and pound? Will he have to battle back from adversity? I would hope to see some of that. I really would. Because I really think that's kind of like it for him before I'm ready to say, give him a title fight. Now, yeah. if he comes in here and starches Curtis Blades, I'm not going to say, well, <laughs> see him fight through adversity. So yeah. I guess he has to fight another one. But right. it, this has the makings, Dom, of a number one contender bout, a title eliminator bout. But the question is, is it? Because I don't think it is. Oh. <sighs> Yeah, it's hard to really put anything as a number contender fight in this division right now. You have kind of an interim title that's being toyed around with between Stipe and John. You have Francis on the shelf right now due to injury. I'd say probably, regardless of who the winner is, I'd say one more for sure. Either guy, even mm-hmm. even if it's a convincing win. Because dare I say, I feel like the winner of this fight is going to come out looking really good. I feel like it, this could be like one of those fights where someone really just shuts out the other opponent, no matter which side of the coin that you're leaning. But yeah, I'd say one more for both guys regardless after this one. It's just See, too hard right now. It, it is. It's too hard to predict because will Stipe, John Jones happen? I think right now the target for that is probably NYC in yeah. November. That's kind of probably the hope right now. Um, but then you also have big matchups like UFC Paris has Surreal Gone and Taito Ivasa. Of course. Correct? And then yeah. Um, what's our other? We have another big matchup, don't we? Um, oh, unless boy. this is unless this is the fight I'm thinking of. Well, it might be. I mean, well, Derek Lewis fights Sergey Pavlovich next uh, week, but that's, that one's okay. But yeah. that's that's not okay. I think maybe it is. I think it's this one, and then Ghana I think this is the fight I'm thinking of. Um, so it is like almost like a mini tournament. But what are we fighting for here? It feels like we're kind of fighting to survive in advance, which yeah. I don't think does this main event justice because I really feel like the kind of caliber of talent we have in the octagon for this fight is two guys with a win would be ready for a title fight, but due to the current lay of the land probably won't get it. Um, It would have, would have bounced back. It is for Curtis blades, not to overlook him here because he is the guy playing the road warrior, right? He's the one that's traveling to London, going to the, basically the home arena of Tom Aspinall, if you will. Um, he's welcoming that challenge when I wouldn't say he doesn't need to. Like, I mean, he, he he's not in any sort of situation, I guess, to to pick and choose. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's coming off of a great main event performance in Columbus. And remember, Dom, going into that, we felt like if he lost to Chris Dawkins, that would probably spell the end. Of, I was I know, even saying crazy. if he lost in a significant enough fashion, I said the UFC might cut him altogether. Yeah, and now I'm ready to say if he wins here in a second straight main event on this year, I wouldn't mind seeing him fight for a title. Right. So it's kind of crazy just um, 
what one win can do for your career. But the fashion it happened in was very impressive. It wasn't a snooze. Right. Could this fight be a snoozer? I really don't think so. I actually mm-hmm. kind of feel the opposite of you. I actually feel like this fight's going to be ultra competitive. Think so? I hope so. I hope that's the case. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, there's nothing. Hey, there's nothing boring about someone getting their, no. you know, getting their ass beat. I mean, no. No. it's entertaining. But I, I, I just, I feel like Curtis Blades, I think, is going to have success in this fight. Yeah. But can but ultimately, he's going to have to go back to that well time and time again to get his hand raised. I don't think. I don't think he's good enough on the feet to really hang with Tom Aspinall for extended stretches. Right. You might feel a little different about that, but it just, to me, what he needs to do, get that fight to the ground, hold ground, hold position, and land opportunistic ground and pound. That's what he has to do to win. And Tom Aspinall needs to not be on his back. Mm-hmm. He needs to be, obviously, on his feet. He has great technique. He could probably put Curtis Blades away if it stays on the feet long enough. And I don't know what Curtis Blades' defensive wrestling is like, but it'd be very interesting if yeah. Aspinall even got a takedown and perhaps was able to put on a submission. Curtis Blades has never won or lost via submission, so right. very interesting. He just has none of that, even though he's a wrestler. It's very interesting. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I guess that's anything else for this main event, Dom, before we move on. I was going to quickly or ask, oh, no, I please, guess. Please, please, go. Um, in this fight, because you have number four, number six, but Curtis, you know, we've kind of seen it all. He's had 15 fights in the UFC. We've seen him at his lowest of lows, the highest of highs, big wins, big losses. Tom Aspinall here coming in with more questions surrounding his overall game, being in there with like his hardest competition to date. Um, the pressure, I feel like more on Tom here. Not only is he closing as a favorite, quick note. Shout out James Lynch, by the way. I heard him say this on the Die Hard MMA podcast today. Keep an eye on these lines. Curtis Blades is currently a plus 110 underdog. If it closes come Saturday with Curtis Blades still as the underdog, that would be the first time in all 15 fights that he would close as a dog, which is crazy, (laughs) crazy to think about. But when you kind of look at all the storylines here, questions to be asked on Aspinall's side, can Curtis Blades stop a young guy and get that big win to put him – close to a title again. Are you kind of siding with more pressure on the Aspinall side in his home land in his backyard, or is there more pressure on the veteran and Curtis blades to stop another young guy? I firmly believe the pressure is on Aspinall here. I would agree. I think blades has kind of cushioned himself a little bit with that win over Dawkins. I don't feel like he's fighting for a career here. Like even if he gets starched out there, it's not going to – obviously a win is what you want to do, but um, for him, I think the UFC have got to probably respect a little bit that he's willing to take oh, yeah. this challenge on. Yeah. I know him and the UFC have not always been on the best of terms, um, so that's obviously an element, but it's it's got to speak to something that this guy's welcoming that challenge. He's traveling abroad, yeah. um, going to his – the guy he's facing homeland essentially yeah. so um I, I firmly believe the pressure is on aspinal but i'm not focused too much on that because dom i felt like there was more pressure on him in his last main and event. he made it yeah made it look easy so i don't yeah. feel like the pressure i don't feel like the, the the lights will shine too bright right i think it simply comes down to who's the better fighter here i love it i love that so much 
co-main event. Um, originally, Darren Till's supposed to be in this spot. Oof. And it's unfortunate that he's not, but what an opportunity it is for one Chris Curtis. Wow. 29-8, and eight, but only 3-0 and oh in the UFC. This guy has had to scratch and claw for every opportunity. And he finds himself in the co-main event on one of the biggest cards of the year. Mm-hmm. And he's opposite number eight, Jack Hermanson, the Joker, taking on Superman, I guess, if you're going off of his... <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the picture he put on Twitter. So, Dominic, these odds are very interesting to me. Uh-huh. Minus 115 for Jack, minus 105 for Chris Curtis. I guess that would make Chris Curtis the slight favorite right now. Close. Dog. Dog. He's closer to plus money. Correct. Sorry. Yes. But this has I'm been, glad, like, I'm really... That, yeah, I'm glad that I have you here to keep me, <laughs> to keep me sane. Um, Jack, a very slight favorite, but it's yeah. essentially a pick him here. Right. right? Minus right. 115, minus 105. Does that surprise you at all? Because as good as Chris Curtis has looked in his three fights, and he's looked damn good, he's fought Phil Halls, Brendan Allen, finished both of those guys, and then had a really gutsy, just awesome decision win over Hadolfo Vieira. Great takedown defense. Just looked really good in that fight. He's looked phenomenal in his three fights. But this is a pretty big jump to go from, well, in my opinion, it's a pretty big jump. It's big. Just because, I mean, your fight, I I will say the competition was very solid. Oh, yeah. I mean, most guys don't, well, don't come in and fight Bill Halls, Brendan (laughs) Allen, and Rodolfo Vieira in your first three fights. But you're going from that to, and you're still unranked. Yeah. Now you're fighting a top 10 guy in Jack Hermanson who's, been here, done that for a long time. This guy fought Bellator yep. for a long time before that, so he all he knows is high level competition. Yeah, is is the odds surprising to you at all? I know you're a big Chris Curtis fan, but I'm just yeah. curious. Yeah, shout out OHIO. Um, if there's one thing, man, I've learned in seven months or nearly seven full months of betting on this show that you guys have been along with us on this journey. Momentum plays a big role in the way that these odds are. And for that reason alone, I'm not too surprised. Uh, I really thought it was going to be about like this, uh, Mm. to be truthful. Maybe a little bit more, maybe like a minus 125, minus 130 for Jack, but really nothing more than that. And I think it's also because Chris Curtis has kind of shown in three fights a pretty well-rounded skill set. And Jack is kind of that guy that we've discussed as good everywhere, not necessarily like great in any one aspect and curtis is kind of the same way when you're talking about a guy 26 to 26 and defending takedowns in three ufc fights and jack hermanson probably better on the ground than on the feet right that's safe to say can he get chris curtis down there and then on the feet chris curtis has great power and he can go three rounds over the course to do it jack hermanson has lost stand-up battles before that we've seen even in his fight earlier this year with sean strickland so when you look kind of look at all that I'm kind of okay with what these odds are. And for a betting perspective, you get value on either guy, whichever way you're leaning. So I like it a lot. I think it's a great um, stylistic matchup. And for Chris Curtis to jump on after fighting two or three weeks ago, go across the pond to London to fight Jack Hermanson, who's also from Europe, uh, big balls. I mean, I love it. This is a huge opportunity for him, but a guy that his career probably does needs to get some light shined on. He's retired 27 times. He's 35 years old. He's been in the PFL season in 2019. Like this is quite the story, especially should he come in here and beat Jack Hermanson. That would be 
pretty crazy. monumental for him. What a what a just last what year year and a half it's yeah. been for him. Yeah. And um, to me though, this this fight is so unpredictable. It is. I am, and every fight is, but I am having such a hard time trying to put it in my brain, like how this fight's going to go. Yeah. There's so many elements. Not only is the matchup unpredictable, if both guys came in here fully prepared for the other, Jack Hermanson has been a bit of a 500 guy as of late, but yeah. still a tough out anytime he's in there. While Chris Curtis is the guy with the momentum on his side, but hasn't quite fought this level of competition. Um, but then you do look at the fact that Chris Curtis is taking this fight on three weeks notice. Yes, Jack is as well. Jack was preparing for a fight, though. Chris Curtis coming out of a fight camp, like, that probably helps him that he was able yeah. to kind of go straight into another one. It's just, there's a lot of elements here. And it's hard to kind of figure out who sort of gets favored where, I guess. Like, you know, who, how does this benefit? Does it benefit Chris Curtis? Because, again, he's kind of prided himself on being the guy that steps up. Yep. Short notice replacements. It worked out against Phil Halls and Brendan Allen. And then even when he fought Adolfo Vieira, I mean, he looked great. And the yep. takedown defense was the huge takeaway from that. Honestly, stylistically, I, I have a hard time seeing where Jack Hermanson yeah. is, like, going to win this fight, if I'm being honest. Now, Chris Curtis, not much of a jiu-jitsu guy. He, he's, he's only got one submission win in his entire career, also only has one submission loss. But, I, I mean, with that takedown defense he showed against – one I of the know. best jiu-jitsu grapplers in the entire company. Does he really have to worry about Jack Hermanson taking him down? Jack Hermanson, I don't even remember how many takedowns he attempted against Sean Strickland, but it was very few. I think it was six, maybe, over the course of five rounds. Oh, really? Okay, well, that's more than I thought, I will say. But he didn't have any success getting in no. there. And no. actually, that probably speaks more to my point, is that um, Jack Romanson's super opportunistic with his jiu-jitsu. You saw it with Kelvin Gastelum. He kind of, I forget kind of how it went. It wasn't, I mean, it might have been a takedown that kind of led into the. That weird it scramble. A, it was a weird scramble <laughs> that he kind of got, and he got the leg. He's very opportunistic. Yeah. And really all of, with his with his stand-up and with his ground game. He, I mean, those openings, he's very quick to, to strike when that, when the iron's hot. Yeah. But Chris Curtis doesn't leave a ton of openings. And honestly, just like you've said, the momentum riding so high for him, I I feel like this is like the all this is like a great opponent for him if he is to kind of jump into this yes. top fifteen. Yeah. And I may be underestimating Jack Romanson a little bit because if you look at his last five fights, he's two and three, but the guys he's lost to, Sean Strickland, was just in a title eliminator. Yep. Marvin Vittori fought for a belt a year ago. Jared Cannonier just fought for the title. Yeah. And then he's got wins over Edmund Shabazian, who I know is not as impressive of a win now, but, you know, it was a At good At the time, win. yeah. And then he's got a win over Kelvin Gastelum, which was a weird one, but he got that submission very quickly. I mean, it was a weird one. But, yeah. truthfully, he's a tough out, but I just don't really see what he's going to do to win. Dominic, do you have any idea kind of what the game plan could be for Jack in this? It's definitely interesting. You have to think he wants to get it to the ground, but again, can he against a guy in Chris Curtis that has shown literally has 100% takedown defense so far through three fights, not to mention Chris Curtis trains with Sean Strickland, and Jack couldn't get Sean Strickland down. So, um, And again, that's kind of some MMA math, but it's all storylines, right? I, yeah. I don't know. I think 
it, it's tough. It really is kind of a perfect fight for Chris Curtis to get on short notice to crash into the top 10 and get an opportunity. And for Jack, yes, it's winnable, but really, like, if he doesn't get it on the ground, we've seen him get outstruck by people that aren't necessarily, like, remember his fight with Marvin Vittori? Like, they were on the feet a little, a pretty big chunk of that fight, yeah. and he got outstruck by Marvin Vittori, so... That is true. You I, know. I didn't think about that. I mean, I, are we overestimating how good Chris Curtis is on the feet, perhaps? Like, He's a hammer for sure. Yeah. I mean, he he hits with. I I the the Vieira fight was interesting because he wasn't able to actually throw with full power, so he yeah. kind of had to win off his technique. But I he was going up against that a guy. And yeah, and I mean, he's going up against a guy who has virtually zero stand up. Well, Vieira impressed me a little bit with what he showed yeah, in that fight, he but better. you know, this is a guy who came in jujitsu champion, not known yeah. for his stand up. Um, Jack, you know, when he fought Sean Strickland, not a very exciting fight. He got outpointed the whole way, yeah. but he was never out of it, out of I it. guess. And I mean, I guess you could say the same about the Vittori fight. And I mean, Cannoneer kind of just... Cannoneer knocked him out, yeah. Cannoneer fucked him up. But, yeah. you know, those two opponents I just mentioned, yes, neither of those guys are winning any... Well, Sean Strickland, great striker. Marvin Vittori not going to win any striking awards, but... yeah. It does just make me wonder if maybe I'm overestimating, you know. This is why, again, it leads to me yep. not really knowing how to evaluate this fight because I love the run Chris Curtis is on, but how high can he fly, Dom? And I just, right. you know, I love that we're getting the chance to find out. It just, maybe I'm underestimating at the same time Jack yeah. or Manson. It's just, I've really, and I'm sure, you know, you could, we could do this for every fight, you know, Eddie. You never really know until of it happens. But this fight, just more than most, feels completely unpredictable to me, and that's but, why I can't wait for it. Flip a coin, ladies and gentlemen. Now, moving on, more from this card to come. But we do have a little bit of Bellator here in the headlines. How about that? Our main event for Bellator two eighty three, coming to you from the Emerald Queen Casino. In Tacoma, Washington. That's right. We'll see the number three ranked welterweight in the world, Douglas Lima, look to get back on track after three straight losses. He takes on the man right behind him, clipping at his heels. Number four, Jason Jackson. So, Dominic, championship title picture, a bit up in the air right now. Yeah. Amasov is literally fighting a war. Yep. Understandable. Of that course. he is not fighting right now. <laughs> but we do have a new interim champ, Logan Storley, who controversially got that decision win over MVP mm-hmm. earlier in the year, back when Bellator was actually having fights like 10 years ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Logan Storley, your interim champ, Bellator's made it pretty clear, and I would say rightfully so, that Amasov will not probably be stripped of the title anytime soon. Yeah. I think that's good. So you kind of have this picture where Logan Storley is kind of your defending interim champion. I know. This could be interesting. Then you got MVP who some people would probably say should get a rematch against Storley. But now in August, he is bare-knuckle boxing Mike Perry. Yeah. So, Dom, the question is, Douglas Lima, even on a three-fight losing streak, taking on Jason Jackson, is this somehow going to end up being a title eliminator? Is the winner of this fight going to fight for that interim title? I know. We could see an interim title get defended. You don't see that very often. Um, 
I would say it leans more so should Jason Jackson win, I'd say he would get Logan Storley. Um, he's won five in a row. This could be six if he finishes the former champion, Douglas Lima. The momentum's there. The younger guy, the bigger guy. And I think, you know, he, he's a guy that doesn't necessarily finish all that many fights on this win streak. All five of them are via decision. Douglas's losing streak are all via decision. So do with that what you will with those numbers. But I do think should Jason Jackson win with that win streak, a fresh face at the top, I would much, I, I would definitely say he would get the title shot or the interim title shot. Should Douglas Lima win? Do you, do you put a guy back in there again after losing three in a row? I mean, maybe. I don't know. But I would say besides Jason Jackson's favor here. Yeah. I mean, it'd be hard to kind of sell a lot yeah. of people on a Douglas Lima title shot when he's lost three in a row and then gets one win. But, I mean, Douglas Lima is such a big face True. for Bellator that True. it wouldn't surprise me. And then you kind of look at what's behind him. Like, Neiman Gra- it's a great division. Yeah. But like, Neiman Gracie, I believe, is still – he hasn't fought since his loss to Logan Storley, I believe. Great fight, too. Yeah, and then you got Andre Korshkov with an amazing knockout. Hey, I wouldn't mind seeing him get another title shot, former champion. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you give him a number six to title shot or not. So, right. um I would definitely say you're right. Jason Jackson firmly feels like a guy that with a win, maybe him and Storley run it for the interim title. Yeah. Feels like if Lima wins, this title might just be on ice for a while while MVP goes in bare knuckle boxes. So right. when it comes to this fight itself, Dom, I'm going to be honest with Douglas Lima, as great of a career as he's had, I'm sensing a lot of shades that I felt when Tyron Woodley went on his downward mm-hmm. uh of spirals, not the right word, because I mean it's, but it, where he started to the decline, become, the decline. Thank you. I'm seeing a lot of similarities. Douglas Lima, just an exceptional fighter at what he does, but he seems cautious, like super hesitant to mm-hmm. to really go for it. Um, he's not throwing as much as he used to. I mean, that rematch with MVP was just a not a great showing for either yeah. guy, but especially him. Um, it's just not been a great last year and a half, two years yeah. for, for Lima. Um, it feels like the writing's kind of on the wall, but Dominic, 42 professional fights for him. Jason Jackson is 19. That's over double his opponent here. Is there anything in there that could be a benefit to Douglas Lima in this fight or is it simply just a sign that, okay, he's a lot older than Jason Jackson in terms of fight years and uh, maybe, again, writing on the wall of the, the result here? Yeah, I think you have to look at the fight years, right? We talk about that a lot with some of these guys because Douglas Lima only 34 years old compared to Jason, who's 31. But when you've got 42 fights, 20 of which in Bellator against top-level guys for many, many years, it all adds up, man, and you have to go and decline at some point um, so, yeah, I, I still just think that the the youth, the freshness of Jason Jackson is going to play more of a factor rather than the experience of Lima. And we just, you know, over the course of these three fights, it all started. We were watching at the apartment in BG when he went up a weight class, Douglas Lima, to try and uh, beat Yeagard for the 185 belt. And since then, it's just been kind of a decline of just skill. The types, the fights aren't really playing out very fun. That fight wasn't very good. You already mentioned the MVP rematch was not very good. So when the performances aren't even really that competitive alongside you're losing them, 
I, I just don't think it's a very good combination to have. So momentum is on Jason Jackson's side, but you still have to go in there and you have to show up at the end of the day. So we'll see. It's very true. I will say I feel like Jason Jackson has a style that's kind of made for this kind of fighter. Yes. Like yes. don't get and I'm not even saying like you know, who has the striking or grappling or wrestling advantage because more what I mean is Douglas Lima is an aging fighter who has seen his better days, who is on this losing streak, who has to be feeling the heat of the moment that he like needs a win badly. But like Tyron Woodley previously and other guys, not just Tyron, I don't want to pile on Tyron, but they kind of lose that uh, that spark where they yeah. just become very hesitant to even get into the fire. You know, like Robbie Lawler had that for a while where he just seems so hesitant to even like go for it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think with Douglas Lima, you're having a lot of that. Jason Jackson, I feel like, has a very safe style. He doesn't make many mistakes and yes, that leads to a lot of decisions. But I feel like with a guy like Lima, who is so desperate for a win, but not really fighting like a desperate man, I think he could just cruise to a victory here. I really do. Mm-hmm. But I hope that that's not the case. I hope we get a much more competitive fight than that. I think Douglas Lima has it in him. Yeah. But I would have argued I had Tyron had it in him. You saw when he fought, um, I hate to keep comparing the two because, I mean, they're their own guys, but like when Tyron fought Luke, yep. he had his moments there. Yep. Yes, he ended up getting finished, and I think that's the fear when you're that guy who lost his title and you're having these losses pile up. But you know, for Lima, I don't think it's um, out of the realm of possibility because again, he's the much more accomplished guy of the two right now. It's just uh, we have to see something we haven't seen from him in the last couple of years. There you go. More on this card to come. But let's get into some fight announcements. That's going to be the the bread and butter here, right? Dom? Yeah. Let, let, now let's start with one. This one's for Dom. This one's for the Dominators out there. Oh, yes. This just happened. This literally. is for, Dom, for Dom's army, for his, That's right. for his fans. Zubaira, Zubaira, excuse me, <laughs> Takugov is having apparently some visa issues. So he is unfortunately out of his bout with Nate Landwehr at UFC San Diego. But never fear, guys, because in steps David Onama. That's right. I swear every time someone falls out, David Onama's stepping in. (laughs) Yes. And um, honestly, I love this fight. Not only because David Onama, obviously, Dom's prized. prized, Possession. I was going to say possession. (laughs) You're you're prized cage fighter, if you will. And uh, I actually love Nate Landwehr, too. Um, I believe he's from Kentucky, I think, or Tennessee or something like that. (laughs) I think he is. Um, I I think this is going to be a cracker of a fight. Just truly just phenomenal matchmaking right here. Yeah, I mean, when David Onama accepts short-notice fights, it's like that Rick and Morty, son of a bitch, I'm in. That's what he is every time. Son of a bitch, I'm in. This is going to be his fourth UFC fight. Three of them have not had proper training camps or even more than a couple weeks to train for. This is violence. These two have been scheduled to fight before. This was supposed to happen in Columbus, Noah. I know. It was supposed to happen there. But better late than never in San Diego on a pretty good card in its own right. I'm excited. I'm very excited. It's going to be violent. It's going to be fun. Those two guys step into the cage. There's nothing else that's going to happen. So mm-hmm. can't wait for it. All right. Here's the big one. We, we warmed you guys up. UFC 279 on September 10th has its headliner. Wow. No title on the line. Mm-mm. 
Simply put, the UFC are sending the hitman in <laughs> to finish the job. This is Mr. McMahon, <laughs> and he's got like the big red machine cane with him. Yeah. And they're trying to take out Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hamzat Chimaev mm. will be back in action in the main event, five rounds. He's the number three ranked guy in the division, by the way, and he's taking on Nathan Diaz in what will be the final fight of Nate Diaz's UFC contract. Let that simmer. Yeah, yeah. I still haven't let it simmer. This came so, out yesterday. So, yeah, this came out yesterday from when we're recording. Um, the group chat had one of its roughest nights, I must say. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a lot of terrible takes going on by our friends. It's okay. I love you guys. Not your best Not your best showing. Yeah, that's the fun of it, right? That is the fun of it because I love just fucking – they line them up and I'm just knock them down. <laughs> um, but anyways, I don't know where to start here, Dom, because there's just so much – that we can dig into both good and bad. Let's start with the positive here. Okay. This is a massive fight. It's huge. An absolute massive fight. Um, I was a little surprised that it was announced as a main event, but the moment it did and I saw the reaction on Twitter and how Nate was immediately like number one yeah. trending, I went, oh, yeah, they made the right choice. Yep, <laughs> yeah. yep that's a main event. Yeah. Um, and I, honestly, I love it for Hamzat that he's getting a main event showing. First one. Um, it's going to be his first one. You can tell that regardless of Nate's situation, they really want to make Hamzat kind of a, a huge deal. And honestly, they've done everything right to make him that way. Mm. He's got his fight of the year contender with Gilbert that really solidified him as a true contender. Before that, he had those squash matches where he's taken out our beloved Reese McKee and uh, John still Phillips, hurts. among yeah. others. And here he goes fighting a legend of the sport in Nate Diaz. It's so many storylines, but oh. th- this is a positive spin, admittedly. Yeah. But we got to start there. We got to start with the positive. It's a huge fight. Undoubtedly going to be probably the highest selling pay-per-view of the year, unless they really pull out something for the left. November. Yeah. Um, but even if it's Joan Stipe, I think this might outsell it. Even if I don't know what's going to be underneath it. Yeah. But I do think regardless, we've seen that even with the casual fans, you know, it's the, it's the, the top of the card that sells. Right. So yep. Yep. Um, to me, it feels like it might be the biggest main event, the biggest pay-per-view of the year. Yeah, uh, Dominic, I want to start there because I, I gave my kind of positive spin on this situation. And this is kind of a way for us to soften the blow later when we undoubtedly get into some of the more less appealing parts of this matchup. Do you have anything to add in terms of kind of the positive spin? Like how you feel like you might. I mean, you tend to be a little bit more positive leaning on a it seems like a lot of things and. <laughs> Than I do. I'm more of a curmudgeon, I guess. So, yeah. um, do you are you feeling it maybe a little bit more positive in certain ways on this fight, or are we ready to kind of dig into the? I mean, yeah, you you kind of said it. I mean, the positives are this is massive, and you know it is going to be a massive payday for both guys, which is sure. great, all sure. well and good. Um, but really, outside of that is where the water begins to get murky, and you kind of yeah. trickle into that deep end of the pool. So. I guess we have to jump off the diving board, Noah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna rant like I thought I was going to. Like I and thought I was gonna, I thought I was gonna have one of my classic <laughs> rants, you know, that everybody seems to love so much. But I don't know if I can. Well, thank goodness we've talked about this for months, at least. Like Nate's whole situation. <laughs> well, I guess that's the that's the other positive. Yeah. Right? What a relief yeah. it is. That yeah. Nate finally has yeah. a fight. Something. Like it's been over a year. Yeah. He's been wanting to fight for months. Finally, it looks like we're going to get through this mm-hmm. and he can go on his way and do whatever he wants to do after and hopefully be happy doing it. Yeah. Now, the the less appealing parts of this matchup, let's start with the UFC's involvement in this matchup being made. I I this is where I was th- I thought I was going to really rant. And I I guess you still can because let's be honest, the UFC have basically put Nate on ice for a year yeah. when they shouldn't have. I mean, they really shouldn't have. If Hamza, if the reason was because Hamza wasn't ready and that's the matchup Nate wanted so badly, well, you was he was he opposed to a Dustin Poirier fight? Was he right. opposed to a Tony Ferguson fight? I doubt it. Yeah. I think that the UFC kind of, whether or not Nate really was all on board with this fight, I think the UFC were all on board with it for obvious reasons. Look at the odds right now. Hamzat's like a minus 1,200 on DraftKings. So the UFC know what they're trying to do here. They're trying to lessen the value of one of their bigger stars, but a guy who is not going to be providing that value to them any longer come past September 10th. So it seems they couldn't get him to re-sign. They're giving him a tough fight on the way out. I hate it. I hate that that's such a big part of this story. Yeah. It's not the first time that this has happened. There's been a lot of cases, if you go through the history of the UFC, of other promotions where guys on their way out, they get these tough fights, sometimes buried deep on prelims. Nick Diaz, his first run in the UFC, he was fighting on the prelims like for his last fight. Andre Arlovsky, after he had lost the belt as heavyweight champion, his last fight on the prelims. Like stuff like that, you just kind of know it's the less favorable side of the sport. That yeah. as much as we want to turn a blind eye to, and maybe sometimes we do, you kind of have to acknowledge it when it's so in your face like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very much so. Now, I guess that's kind of the UFC's involvement here. I'm not trying to steal all the talking points, Dom. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, you, I'll ta- you just I'll ta- go. I'll tag you in here in a minute because I'm I'm gonna need a I'm gonna need a break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, that's sort of where the UFC's involvement has been in this matchmaking. Now I thought I would rant about that, but then it seems like the way this is being portrayed, even from Nate Diaz's camp, is that he's called for this fight. Yeah, since April. So in that sense, it's hard to be mad at the UFC for giving him the fight, but yeah. but. Now, I'm not stupid. Dom's not stupid. He's a, if I'm not stupid, Dom's especially not stupid. He's a mass. He's a master of thugonomics for Christ's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm just a bachelor. You know. <laughs> we know that this isn't just a sport. Like as of much course. as as much as we love embracing the sport, like and talking about it like a sport putting number the champion against the number one contender, like always doing it that way, you know, having competitive bouts, like good matchmaking, trying to make the best fight the best. Unfortunately, that's just not the way it always goes. And I say unfortunately 
But there is a balancing act that MMA plays that other sports don't really have to. You watch a boring game of football, nobody really cares that it's boring necessarily. They, they, if you're watching your favorite team, you're so invested in your team doing well that yeah. whether or not it's a boring game or not doesn't really You're like matter. searching for the silver linings, you know, right. still. So it's like, but then you compare that to like when we've been critical of Israel Asanya for his fight with Cannoneer, it's because we weren't entertained. Yep. yep. Even though, if you look at it as a sport, he won a fight pretty handily, added another notch to the, the, the win streak, the title defense streak, yep. uh, just solidifying himself even more as one of the best fighters of all time and one of the best fighters today. There's a balancing act because it's a sport, but it's also got theater involved with it. You know, it's a it's almost like a circus. It's like you you mix the best parts of a sport and a circus together. Yeah. This is like the most circus style matchup you can make because yeah. truthfully, this matchup makes zero fucking sense. No. No. Nope. Zero sense if you view it as a sport. Yeah. There is no reason for unranked Nate Diaz. No matter what we think, I think Nate Diaz, probably a top 15 welterweight. But it doesn't matter. He's unranked, coming off back-to-back losses to Jorge Masvidal and then Leon Edwards. Yep. Which really you could argue that, especially the Leon Edwards one, also made no sense (laughs) made no sense either (laughs) nobody complained about that one i'll say i'll hold my breath on that though yeah yeah a a different rant for a different time (laughs) right but he once again is being matched up with a number three the number three ranked guy in a division a guy who is definitely looking at title eliminating fights looking at number one contender fights looking at potentially a title fight Yep. with the winner of Usman Edwards. Um, Dom, let's, I'm going to tag you in here. Makes no sense. No. No, it, it really doesn't. It doesn't at all. Um, you know, you put... Well, that's where it comes into play, right? Because, again, from the sport, from a competitive standpoint, from the rankings, who's going to fight who, how are we going to get to the title shot, how are we going to clear up this division, determine who belongs where in the top 15, in the top 10, in the top 5. It doesn't make sense. But when you add in what Noah said, the theater, the entertainment value, this is, it checks all those boxes for people. And it's got that casual trending um, on Twitter. Trending on Twitter, guys. Not just like like in an MMA portion of trending. It was trending like glo- definitely united domestically, but it might even have been a global thing. I don't thing. know how trending works exactly, yeah, but yeah. it was one of the biggest stories. <laughs> when, when Brett Okamoto hit the send button on his tweet, he knew he was about to break the internet, basically. Yeah. And that's because... Nate Diaz is a super casual fan friendly fighter that is going to attract eyes to the sport. And Hamzat is slowly but surely getting there. It's it's a little harder for him, but in a sense, the UFC's really pushed him very quickly, very hard. So he's getting there. And that's why they're putting him with Nate Diaz because, again, should he beat Nate Diaz like he is, let's be quite frank, supposed to do. He's going to get all those casual fans that can no longer watch a Nate Diaz fight to watch a Hamzat Chamaya fight, a future superstar of the sport, which is what the UFC and Dana White and the boys have seen from him since he took his first step in that octagon. And that's where kind of that old other side that Noah hinted toward comes into play here. So theatrical entertainment, 
Makes all the sense in the world. You're going to make a lot of money. You're going to bring a lot of eyes to the sport. Competitive MMA-wise, makes absolute zero sense. <laughs> That's the balancing act. And I guess in a way, like we were all clamoring for the Dustin Poirier fight. Does that and, uh, poor Dustin's of... just sitting at home, by yeah, the way. Yeah, <laughs> and really, he he, and that might be a story Damn. for another time. But he really is like kind of. He's being a big loser here. of this situation. He is, and I think the UFC has kind of strung him along a yeah. little bit. But um, that matchup really didn't make like a ton of sense from a sport perspective. Yeah. If it's at 170, makes a little more a little sense, bit more, right? For because sure. both guys unranked, and it's just a really fun fight. Exactly. Not every like. There, there's kind of a, a checks and balances here, yeah. but um, I just don't get me wrong. The fight's going to come, and I'm going to be super excited because it's massive. Yes. And, and as much as I can get annoyed, and Dom, you probably are there with me, with some of the casual takes that we're going to see in the lead of up. Of course. Is, is Skip Bayless going to go on there and talk about Nate Diaz having a su- great sumo-style wrestling? Yeah, he yeah. might. Yeah. But... Um, it feels like an inevitable outcome, but when has that ever been the case in MMA, really? You never know. You never know. That's truly the beauty of the sport. That's the beauty of the theater, the, the circus act, is that nothing's that nothing is as predictable as it seems in MMA. One shot changes a fight. So I understand if there's a lot of people who are not happy about this announcement. I'm not thrilled about it. Again, I prefer for a main event, I would much prefer to see like a title fight, a number one versus number two. Yeah. Have Hamzat fight a Colby Covington or something like that here. But, or even, I mean, dare I say, am I going to say it? I think you're going to say it. Bilal Muhammad here. Yeah. Yeah. But make no mistake about it, Nate Diaz is. The big, much bigger draw. He is the reason most people are going to buy this pay per view, and I will be excited just to see all that interest in this fight. Mm-hmm. And it's already been very interesting. Some of my friends who are more on the casual side, I had a couple guys being like, "Diaz is a plus eight hundred, yeah. like being shocked." And I'm like, "Guys, I know that that's a little crazy, but, but I'm that smash." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I want to ask you real quick, when you, when you look at this fight, because we know the buildup's going to be it's going to be crazy. There's nothing it, the UFC does better than promotion. Could, of will fight. it be crazy? Like I guess it could be crazy. Well, I'm going mean, to say okay, go ahead. Because we're business guys, right? Yeah. From a marketing standpoint, how does the UFC even go to spin this fight? I'll be very curious to see how they do it. Well, they're I definitely really not going to do the Vince McMahon Stone Cold Steve Austin <laughs> right. angle. Right. Um, of course, Dana White filling the role of <laughs> yes. man in this. In this. Close friends, um, those two. <laughs> that's true. Very true. Um, that's inter- my, that's my best, interesting. So it, it will be interesting to see how how do they market it in terms of like the promotional materials, like the hype videos or whatever. It's probably going to be mostly focused on Hamzad is literally the future of the division. Yeah. Nate Diaz is the gritty... The dog. The dog. The pa- He's the past, but he's. they're going to show how tough he is. And, you know, they're going to show him not giving a fuck, flipping yeah. off the bird, you know, all yeah. that. It's going to be like gangster versus gangster. It, it is. 
Because yeah. Hamza, I mean, that dude's about it, about it. I mean, oh, he is. Make no mistake. I feel like I've said that a few times. Um, the shit he's saying right now is pretty savage. And, and let's just think about this, Dom. When the press conference time comes, <laughs> I know. And yes, I will try to reserve my expectations because Nate, for as much for all the great lines, I mean, the Conor McGregor stuff, playing touch butt with that dork in the park. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, he's like, <laughs> some great lines. I don't give a fuck, motherfucker. Like, just, I mean. He's a man of few words, though, right? He is He is someone who doesn't talk trash unless provoked. Right. Now, will Hamzat kind of get in his ass a little bit? I don't know. I don't know. Hamzat is a man of few words himself. True. So it's going to be up to kind of the people asking the questions to instigate it. That's really what it comes down to. That's how it is at every press conference anyway. It's like a gnat flying around me. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> it will be interesting to see how these two gel when it comes time to kind of promote this fight. Like, what will there be some words? Will it, you know, are they going to ask, is Hamzat going to be like, I, I smashed this. I He's smashed saying this, this is going to be Nate Diaz's funeral. <laughs> You know, yeah. for this contract. So, so I will be curious to see, like, really how these two kind of promoted in the lead-up. The lead-up to this fight should be exceptional. Yeah, I would imagine. It should be. And I hope that they're going to put a really solid co-main on this, like yeah. a Dustin and Dariush, yeah. or Dustin Michael Chandler. But <laughs> Dustin probably... versus insert name here. <laughs> in that way, if someone falls out, maybe, maybe yeah. we end up getting Dustin uh, and Nate anyway. you know. <laughs> but I do think that... For all the negatives I'm saying, make you know, it's very clear we're gonna watch this fight, be excited about this fight. It does just hurt a little bit when you kinda understand the, the way that you get here, you yeah. know, to this point. Yeah. It, it just it's 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 a tough pill to swallow, but yeah. swallow it we will. Amen. Also, not to be People uh, don't know that this happened, I don't think. <laughs> so UFC 280, the following pay-per-view, this is the one happening in Abu Dhabi, UFC 280, October 22nd, has added two massive fights, Dom. This is the one, of course, <laughs> yeah. main evented, lightweight title, vacant lightweight title, Charles Oliveira, Islam Makhachev. Yeah, this card's looking nice. Our co-main event, Woo. the men's bantamweight title will be on the line, Aljamain Sterling, Versus TJ Dillashaw. This was originally planned to be the on UFC 279. Yeah, that's obviously changed with the Hamzat Nate fight. So that's now your co-main event on this Abu Dhabi card. And not to be overlooked, our feature bout as of now. Shit, this one's more attention than the title fight. Former bantamweight champion Peter Yan. Is taking on Sean O'Malley. This is hot off the presses when we're recording yeah, this. Hot off the presses. What, what the fuck is what going the, on here? Uh, this is crazy. This is crazy. This ha- Sean O'Malley was on DC and RC today, Wednesday, when we record, and said, yeah, I'm so excited to announce. And like, dead ass, really well spoken for Sean O'Malley, by the way. It was kind of a nice thing announcing it and how excited he is about this opportunity being on a big card but getting the number one ranked Peter Yan after having that um, no contest just a couple weeks ago against Pedro Munoz boy I was I expected Sean to get Pedro again or someone around there yeah. you know top 10 we were talking about Ricky Simone yeah not Peter Yan we were talking about 
Sean and Ricky, Sean and Adrian, we were kind of like, oh, which one's yeah. more uh, realistic? Yeah. This one wasn't on the damn list. This one was so far out of left field. And I know they had been tweeting and whatnot, but for it to be announced, guys, this is for anybody saying Sean O'Malley handpicks fights, that narrative's out the window. Because... So, okay. Yeah, true. Very true. I mean, I think there was maybe a case for that in his come up. Like, yeah. maybe he was being given favorable matchups it's gotten a lot better. but you can't say that now no i mean not at all not for a while i felt like he's kind of shaking that and this is crazy but let me ask let me ask you this i know this is exciting it's big let's start with this fight because we don't want to overlook the, the bantamweight title fight <laughs> i know but i feel like we did kind of talk about it already maybe that's why we're focused on this <laughs> do, do you like the matchup like do, like okay sean Pedro Munoz have a very competitive fight <laughs> yeah. for a round and a half, a round one where Sean lost on all three judges' scorecards. And then I poke, no contest, Pedro unable to continue. It's not like he was dominating that fight no. or obviously didn't win that fight. That was a no contest. And then he's getting the number one guy in the division, and he's wow. still ranked number 13. Yeah. Yeah. So, is do you like the matchup or do you like just just answer me that? Do you like it? Like, are you happy with the matchup? Call me crazy, but I'm kind of here for it, man. Look, guys, and, what and did I'm we not just one say? To do that. What did we just say? Look, it's a balancing act. Wow. This is it's kind of funny how we were just shitting on the Nate and Hamzad matchmaking, and I mean. This isn't that far Sean from Sean is passing up a lot of guys. Yeah. And, I mean, Peter that's, Young was kind of the odd man out. And, that's uh, true. That's very in, true. And then the sweepstakes, you know. And, like, was he really going to take a fight with, like, Rob Font or someone like right. that? Like, Sean O'Malley is the biggest fight for him. Like, yeah. for Peter Young's perspective, this makes all the sense in the world. Oh, yeah. This is – I can see why he took this. You take this fight ten times out of ten because yeah. it's such a big name for a guy who's still unproven. Yeah. And you're coming off a loss, disappointing loss, of one that everybody thought you were going to win for your title. Yeah. So, honestly, a win here, even against a guy who's unproven, who's ranked 13th, could put you right back oh, yeah. in the title discussion in a very stacked – Bantamweight division. From Sean O'Malley's perspective, does it make sense? It does. It does make sense. But, God, what's the balls on this guy? I mean, wow. to to welcome this challenge right now, I mean, this is a big hill to climb. For oh, Sean yeah. O'Malley. You want to talk about a jump, you know? This I mean, is... Peter Yan, I was saying before he lost to Sterling, I may still say it, I felt was pound for pound, skill for skill, tip for tat, the most talented fighter in the entire UFC. Yeah. I know he lost to Sterling, so maybe that changes But he's that. still up there. He's still know. like, I mean, my gosh, that guy is so talented. Yeah. Sean O'Malley is an exceptionally gifted fighter, but a lot of it's also potential. I mean, some yeah. of it's unproven. I mean, yeah. his best win up to this point is uh holly and paiva correct yeah it is after that was the munoz fight it is yeah who's to say he was gonna win the munoz fight i mean 
I probably, if you made me bet live, I probably still would have put money on him to win that, to end up winning rounds two and three, and maybe even getting a finish, but probably not. But still, that's, I mean, that's a lot of projecting. Yeah. You know, what did we see? He was down. He was down on the cards. Yeah. It's just a huge, you already had a big enough hurdle and potentially a rematch with Pedro or a Ricky fight. Like or I even said. if he goes up and fights like a Sanhagen, another guy that's yeah. kind of on the outside looking in, that's still a huge hill to climb in itself. But, but he gets Peter Jan. That's crazy. Like, I feel for each fighter it makes sense, yet the matchup itself is like kind of a fucking puzzling one. And it's crazy that we're saying it, it is 10 out of 10 for Peter Jan, but in a sense, it still is a risk to a certain degree. I mean, but, it's a risk because you know, he needs a win. But also, again, I think he's banking. Well, I'm not, I think I he just know. believes he's that much better. Yes, but. I do too. I mean, he's banking a lot on the unproven factor for yeah. Sean O'Malley. I mean, and how can you blame him? Right? Sean's toughest test: Marlon Barra beat him. Yep. Pedro Munoz was well, in the first up round on the cards. Yep. I mean, if you're Peter Jan, you take this fight a hundred times out of a hundred. And honestly, for Sean, I think the. Even if it's maybe misguided uh, confidence, I think you do take this fight because it's. I mean, you won this year in a title fight. Well, no, think about it. Like stylistically, this is going to be a striking battle. It is, and I mean, nobody does that better than Peter Yan. But Sterling, or excuse me, not Sterling, but I mean, Peter Yan's just so good at mixing it up, switching stances. Yeah. I mean, he's one he's of exceptional. The best. Yeah. But Sean O'Malley going to have a big advantage in terms of reach. And it's going to look so big. It's, it's going to be very interesting how that plays out. But I wonder – I'm actually surprised the UFC made oh, this fight. Well, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for these negotiations. Because oh my gosh. you got to know that, like, it's a big fight. So I'm sure the UFC enjoy the fact that they're able to put this fight together and make it its third fight on the pay-per-view or whatever. But, man, I mean, you got to wonder, like, this is a guy, Sean O'Malley, that is, that you're kind of one of your stars in the making. You're banking on him eventually being like a cash cow. And not too long ago, you were pretty slowly Mm -hmm. bringing him along, Mm -hmm. giving him some more favorable matchups. And then, yes, the Holly and Paiva, I thought was a, even though he, I mean, he made quick work of him. I thought that was a pretty solid matchup for him at the time. And then the Pedro Munoz fight, I thought was a good matchup. It just based off what we saw for the Munoz fight, I'm shocked UFC were like, "Yeah, let's do this." I know it's crazy. Like, I'm really shocked, and it came together very price. quickly. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, poor Pedro Munoz, man. He's probably <laughs> pissed off that he, you know, much, I mean, much. Uh, you know, I know a lot of Sean O'Malley fans think, "Oh, he's probably so happy because he, you know, yeah. he just quit or whatever." They're going. Yeah, say. Now, now he's going to probably have to fight Ricky for all we know. Now, you know. <laughs> yeah. So. What a just mind-bending set yeah, of circumstances. That, that UFC 280 card in Abu Dhabi is... And the co-main event, Dom. I know, back to it a little bit. We talked I know we it. talked about it already, but Alderman Sterling, TJ Dillashaw, this is an amazing fight. So, Actually, because I don't know if you remember, we did... Um, I'm going to have to kind of piece it together. We did a video towards the beginning of the year where it was like a fight... Perfect. Or no, it was one of the fights we tables. want to see in twenty twenty two. No, 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 no. I thought that's what it was, but no. We did a round table at like the beginning. Well, now it's a verbal sparring, of course. Right, of course. Back when it was a round table, we did it at like the beginning of the year, at the very end of last year, 
And one of the questions was, what are like three fights if we could make, we have to see in 2020? Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. My number one was Jan versus Sandhagen, I think. I think that was my number one. Obviously, Jan lost to Sterling. So, on, like literally. You mean Jan versus Dillashaw? Yes, sorry. I meant Jan right. versus Dillashaw. Right. Now, obviously, Sterling beat Jan. Yeah. So now he's in that spot. But Dominic. As far as title fights go, when we're talking about the sport mm. side here, mm-hmm. I don't know if you get two better title fights than this. I mean, oh. Charles and Islam is, I mean, that's that, probably... That's biggest, everything. That's my Super Bowl for That's the biggest title fight of the year, yeah, so far. And then the coming event you get, I know a lot of people are kind of feel different ways about Sterling as a champion, as TJ as the number one contender. I think TJ earned his shot. Yes. He never lost the belt. Nope. He, sp- he took his time off due to his steroid violate or EPO suspension. Once that suspension was up, he came back and won. Whether or Hell not you think, fight. whether or not you think he did or not, he got the nod on the judges' scorecards over Corey Sanhagen. He's the rightful number one contender right now, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, co-main main. I mean, I don't think it gets any better than these two. Mm-mm. No, I couldn't agree more. And don't let it be mistaken. Aljamain Sterling's performance over Pewter Jan in the rematch was stellar. Very true. No Very true. one surprised no one everybody. Saw that surprised everybody. That fight is so good, man. You got Pewter Jan, Sean O'Malley underneath that. You got Bilal Muhammad versus Sean Brady. Yes, one. That one seems way far fetched out compared to the hype of these three. But that's right. a great fight too, man. Regardless if it plays out that way in the octagon, we're being spoiled. We're being spoiled. We are. That's well, what it is. That's it for the fight announcements. We still have more shit to do. We got one little tidbit. Frankie. <laughs> this almost feels kind of pale in comparison. Yeah. Now, this but, is very small, yeah. Uh, Frankie Edgar, uh, I believe he was doing an interview with somebody. I can't remember. I think it was Brett Okamoto, maybe. Well, I think this was an interview with Ali speaking on behalf oh, of Frankie because okay. he's his manager. Thank you. I wasn't sure. I didn't watch the interview, but I thought the soundbite was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, Frankie Edgar, understandably realizing retirement is on the horizon. He has requested his retirement fight, Dom, to be at UFC 281 in New York City. Yep. And even mention, excuse me, mention Dominic Cruz yep. as a potential opponent. Now, Dominic Cruz, of course, headlining the upcoming show. Was that UFC San Diego? Is that the one? Yep. That's the one with Cheeto. He's headlining with Cheeto Vera. So my thought, my question for you is like, do you think that's a reasonable matchup to want? Or do you feel like there's maybe another matchup out there that might be a little bit better? Uh, um, Before Cheeto and Dominic Cruz got made, yeah, I love it. I would have loved everything. But now that he's booked with Cheeto Vera, Dominic Cruz has made it pretty clear he wants another run at the title. So if he beats Cheeto Vera, I'm sorry, Frankie, but... He's not going to take that fight with you as much as I would love it. Now, if he loses to Cheeto, maybe we're talking. That that could yeah. be something interesting. But I do like the idea of Frankie with another veteran that's been there and done that for many, many years. That's what Frankie should go out with. Absolutely put him on that New York card. There, there's only so many veterans in this division, I guess, though. This division's so maybe fucking like Maybe uh, what about like a Sun Sal? That would still... be good. That would be actually a, probably the next. Sun Sal still in the UFC. Like those are two guys who that are seen on their, their better way. days. Yeah, but not a fight that you're probably going to see. Hopefully, you wouldn't see Frankie get 
knocked out. Well, that's out. winnable for both guys. You know, it's It is not winnable like... for both guys, but I don't think Frankie gets KO'd in that one. That's not yeah. how he loses that fight. Yes, yeah, something like that, but frankly, yeah, Frankie absolutely deserves to be on that card to finish yeah. out his career. My thoughts, of course, Dominic Cruz would be a bigger fight than um, a Sun Tzu. But I'd honestly be a little, like, okay, when I saw people talking about this tidbit around the MMA spear today and yesterday, I don't like that people keep talking about Dominic Cruz. Like, he is on the same, like, Dude, yes, we acting, talked about that before. They're talking about him and Frankie Edgar, like, they're the same type and same situation. Absolutely not. I will not stand for the Dominic Cruz slander. It's unintentional slander, but it's slander. Yeah. Yeah. No more. Yeah. Dominic Cruz, until proven otherwise, is an elite man. He's a contender. Yeah. Yeah. A contender. Yep. A threat to win that title again, a third yep. time. Absolutely. I've yet to see where where where, where to go. Where where did all the t- where like show me the fight that tells me he's not that anymore. Right. He lost to Cody Garbrandt, one of the best performances you'll ever see ever. in a title fight. Yeah. The Henry Cejudo fight, quick stoppage. I don't argue to stoppage, but Henry Cejudo, a fucking phenomenal fighter. One of the best ever. Yeah. Come on. It's, <laughs> yeah, I just can't. I can't. I. It's so unintentional. Like People aren't trying to slander him. Yeah. But it is. Like he is. If he beats Cheeto Vera, he should be like one win away. Absolutely, hundred percent. I mean, if anything, if he beats Chi Rivera, please. You want to talk about two legends fighting? I want him and Jose Aldo in my veins all day. That's the type exactly. of fight that exactly. I want. So that's why, like Frankie, for his situation, would a Dominic Cruz fight be big? Yes, but I also don't think that he would be very competitive in that fighting. Yeah. Now I don't I think don't. Dominic Cruz finishes him. Probably not because, which is kind of what matters here. Like, win or lose, you just don't want to see the guy get knocked out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But a, a Sun Sal. I like that a lot. Run that's, it. that's a good one. Let's get into the rest, Dom. We have more fights to talk about here. We'll start with Bellator, our co-main event. This was originally going to be our headliner, Sydney Outlaw. Oh, yeah. Much respect to him. He stays on the card, gets bumped down to a co-main. It's a three-round fight now. He's taking on a debutante in Bellator, uh, Tofik Musayev. So Tafik Musayev actually has a win, as we discussed when this fight was announced, yeah. over the champion of this division, Patricky Pitbull. Mm-hmm. So clearly, title eliminator vibes here. Because if Sydney Outlaw wins, yes, you're fighting a debut debuting fighter, but guy who comes in with pretty big aspirations, they they clearly believe in this guy, the promotion that is, and he has the wins to back that up. So Sydney Outlaw clearly taking this fight when he really doesn't need to because he already had the title shot. Yeah. But uh, respect. respect to him for doing it. I think uh win here, he firmly establishes uh, there's nobody that can pass him up. He is the next guy. But for Tafik Musayev, he may come in here, Dom, get this one win. Is he a favorite in this fight? He is a favorite. I was actually waiting for it to scroll there at the bottom. Okay. I believe Sydney closed at a plus one. Let's see it right here in a second. I'm looking at the ticker. <laughs> Sydney is a plus one thirty five. So I knew Tofik yeah. did close as a favorite. He's minus one fifty five. But so, again, yeah, I was curious. You know, if he does come in here and beat number one Sydney Outlaw, he's getting a title fight. And not only because he's beating number one Sydney Outlaw, 
because he has the history with Patricky Pitbull. Yeah. We talked about that one again, like Noah already said, um, and it just still remains true here. So if he comes out and wins, absolutely. The winner of this fight gets a title shot. It's that simple. Well said. Feature bout. Usman Nurmagomedov, still like the best name to have as an MMA fighter. I mean, yeah, no shit, dude. Uh, you're ta- he's taking on Chris Gonzalez. Of course, Usman Nurmagomedov is of the Nurmagomedov, Abdulmanab kind of Descent. lineage. Yeah. yeah. Um, I forget, is he like a cousin, cousin maybe or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. who knows. Yeah. yeah. That's how they roll out there in <laughs> right. Dagestan. Um, he's fighting Chris Gonzalez. Usman Nurmagomedov looks to be, well, he's- the next lightweight champion, perhaps. I mean, yeah. you got these two guys fighting for a shot in the, the co-main event, but they may just simply be holding that belt. Are they just keeping it warm? Yeah. For Usman Nurmagomedov. Um, is there any, I guess, is this feel like an inevitability that he wins this fight, or does Chris Gonzalez offer anything to really combat kind of the hype? I mean, minus 610 there says it all because, let's be honest, Usman Amargamadov has made it look easy in three fights in Bellator, two in a row in the first round via stoppage. Only 24 years old. He's just coming into it, man. He's not even in his prime. Chris Gonzalez, good record, but less experienced than Usman, which is interesting. Yeah, Seven and one. interesting. Yeah, six and one in Bellator. So he's another guy that's kind of been molded throughout his entire career. We're going to talk about two other guys that have been the exact same way. But, yeah, he's six years older. They're about the same size. I just, what what are you going to present to Usman that he hasn't seen, that he can't handle? He just looks that damn good. That's the problem. 14-0, 12 finishes. Come on, guys. And I'm going to put a little gem on here from the prelims. Please Two of the most promising young fighters in the entire promotion, but both just so happen to be in the middleweight division. Number seven, Romero Cotton taking on number eight, Dalton Rosta. Rasta. I don't know. You, you decide. Um, Dominic, I think this is a fight. It's on the prelims, so you guys will have to watch it on YouTube. If That's you ridiculous. Want, if you want to tune in. Uh, this fight should be on the main card for sure. It's This is really going to decide who's the future of that division for now. Yep. And I'm so excited for it. Two guys that I've had my eye on for a while, really since we've started watching Bellator. And the fact that they're fighting this early on in their careers is I don't know if it's a shame or if it's just awesome. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is good, man. Number seven versus number eight. Both guys. I love the the sim, sim, symmetricalness, sim, the, the mirroring. They're very, yeah. Of they, one they, another. Their careers mirror each other. They're symmetrical. Yeah. yeah. Both 6-0. and oh. Both 6-0 and oh in Bellator. Been in there since the start. Romero, Cotton, Dawn, Rosa, Rosta, sorry. Um, it's great. But Romero is six years the elder, regardless of the experience. But... A phenomenal wrestler prior to transitioning to MMA, if I'm not mistaken. So keep an eye on that. We've got a guy that's finished five out of six in cotton, whereas Dalton's only finished three out of six, so he can kind of grind it out more. His last three wins have all been via decision. So it really is a fun fight. Noah's super pumped for it. He got me pumped for it. I'm excited to see how it'll play out. It does suck again. Two guys that seem to be the future going up against each other now, but this is how we see it sometimes. It has to happen at some point. Here we go. More from UFC London. Oh, yes. Oh, Paddy the Paddy. He's even got us saying If he got Noah saying it, that's saying a lot for Paddy right there. Paddy Pimblett is our feature bout. He's taking on Jordan Levitt. Monkey, Monkey King. King. Yes. Torque that ass, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, 
Um, I've had my thoughts on Patty Pimblett. Mm-hmm. Mostly what I've said, what I've had my rants about. It's not Patty Pimblett himself. Patty Pimblett himself has done nothing wrong. He's a great fighter. Comes from Cage Warriors, a legend of European MMA already. And he's just now making his way to the UFC. Um, he's had two just electric fights already in the company. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's been a joy to watch. What has been the sticking point for me has been the the hype surrounding him, I feel like, has surpassed where he is. Yeah, when people are fair. calling for him to fight Tony Ferguson. It's like, Come on. I'm getting Mickey Gall vibes. And I just, yeah. I hate what's kind of happened to Mickey Gall because he seems like a very good guy. And, yeah. you know, he's he's had his good, he's had his ups and downs, but it's just, you know, I feel like Mickey Gall had a very promising career at one point, but just, it's kind of stagnated. Yeah. Tough matchups, maybe sooner than he needed to be. It, it happens. Or Darren Till, you know, another one who yep. maybe was yep. fast tracked. That might be a better example for here because European MMA. However, Dom, I feel like this time around, I'm not hearing a ton of that with Patty. It seems like people have kind of chilled out. It's been a bit quiet. That's it. Like. like, I mean, people are very excited, but it. I don't know what it is. I'm not seeing the un, like the crazy expectations and yeah. people acting like he's the the next champion like maybe it will if he wins on saturday but it's making it easier for me to just kind of enjoy the run he's on for what it is and this is great matchmaking it is great yeah jordan levitt has been very good in the ufc this is record three and one four and one three and one and a contender series win yep exactly uh the slam over matt wyman oh gosh yeah. tough tough to watch but Patty Pimblett is, of course, going to be a heavy favorite here. Not as heavy as maybe I don't know what his other fights were, but it's definitely um, the smallest. It I feels mod, more modest, and rightfully so. I mean, let's get the let's clear the air here, though, Dom. I'm going to put this in terms that you might be able to understand. Okay, okay. If Jordan Levitt were to win this fight and then twerk, oh, Patty Pimblett's oh, lifeless boy. body. That would only be the equivalent to playing a game of Call of Duty. Okay, I see where you're going already. You're having a great game. Honestly, you are on such a winch. You're on a kill streak that you're about to get the uh, air the nuke. strike. Yeah, yeah. The nuke, yeah. Yeah. And then someone no scope snipes you. Throw, any, then, throw a 360 in even. <laughs> and then... While you're waiting to respond, they teabag your Yeah, they teabag me. That's what I figured you were going with. There. So that's just to get it out of the way. Yeah. If Patty Pimblett loses this fight in London, in Look, London. I understand that'd be massive, like big upset. Yeah. A lot of people excited to watch him in London. Crowd's going to be really into Insane. this fight. If he loses, it would be a massive just deal. Yeah. But. If he gets twerked on, dude, post loss, he only has one choice. He has to get back up and fight him again. Do what Habib did after the Connor fight. Basically. You cannot. I don't care if you get knocked the fuck out, homie. You better get knocked the fuck out again because there ain't no way that someone can do that kind of disrespect and it go like unchecked. Yeah. But unfortunately. He's doing it after whipping your ass. Yeah. Like, 
normally people do some shit like that and you go, okay, I'm going to beat your ass. But this dude just got done beating your ass. Right, so it's a little different. Yeah. But you got to you gotta get back up and you're going to be like, I didn't hear no bell. I, well, you didn't hear no bell because you were knocked the fuck out. Right, right. Also, but it's, it's time to just fucking get in there again. Anyways, yeah. I, I know yeah. I'm kind of projecting a little, a little bit there. Bit. So, uh, <laughs> go ahead, Tom. I, I just wanted to say quickly, Jordan Levitt, Levitt, sorry, I don't know why I said Levitt. Jordan Levitt bet on himself for this fight. But not only that, to win via submission. Oh, so. Lord have mercy. Lord so, have mercy. Yeah, yeah. He is going, he's going to put. He's going to try and do it. Have you ever seen the video? Oh, where's this going? This is. I wish I could remember what it's called, but it was like, <laughs> I think I saw it on like Tosh.0 back in the day. Okay. And I forget what it's called, but it was some form of like a Brazilian dance where it's like this dancer. She wraps her legs around the guy's head and okay. like slams his head into her ass like over and over again. Oh, wow. Wow. Patty is, or not Patty, Jordan is going to look to put a, a reverse triangle choke on Patty and then repeatedly Torque. do that. Yeah. Just rub it in his face. So a reverse triangle choke twerk. First time ever in UFC history. You have to fight him. You have to. But you just lost. But you have to. Like you, you have, whether it's in the streets, I don't know. But you got to. Like you can't. Anyways. Okay. The Off the rails. Yeah. Off the rails. The fight itself, Dom. It's a great I, fight. I sent really. you agree. I sent you agree that this is proper matchup, good matchup yes. for Patty. When it comes to the X's and O's, you know what does Jordan Levitt have that maybe Patty's previous opponents did not? The grappling. The grappling to at least compete with Patty. But the thing is, Patty is known for how good of a grappler he is. But he's came into the UFC and always wanted to do a scrap. We saw a little hint of it. In the second fight, a little, that's a submission win. Yeah, yep, a little bit hint of it. But uh, this is what this kid is known for. So if this fight goes to the ground, I'm actually super excited. Jordan Levet, very strong, very physical, has six submission wins. Patty has eight submission wins. Patty's going to be comfortable off of his back. I think Jordan is comfortable off of his back. I just really, you know, if it's on the feet though, Patty all day. You have to lean Patty all day. I would definitely lean Patty. Because I don't, I really don't know much. I think it's more of a speed thing. Either. Like for Jordan Levitt, like I don't feel like he has very good stand up. Like yeah. from what I've seen, I feel like it's been pretty lacking. Like that's, he's a green fighter, like in areas, and that's his area where it's like okay, he's yeah, he's a ways away from a finished product. His striking is what has held him back from being, you know, yeah. his grappling's phenomenal. But yeah, Patty, I would definitely favor. But I also recognize that Patty leaves himself open. He a does. Lot. He does. So I mean, who's to say that there couldn't be an equalizer introduced? I'm leaning Patty in this fight. I definitely think that he has to. He's the more skilled. I yep. think overall, I think he's the more polished. And I mean, even where um, Levitt excels. I'm not exactly sure if he's even going to be better than Patty there. So I, I really do want to see. Patty like a lot on the ground. Like I really yeah. want to see that cage warrior shit that he yeah. came in with the hype. That's what I want to see. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be very fun for as long as it lasts. Mm-hmm. Um, God, the scenes. I mean, that you'll be able to hear a pin drop if Patty loses this fight. Yeah, that would be crazy. Following that, this pretty is big a... matchup here. Number eleven ranked light heavyweight Nikita Krylov yeah. looks to snap his. Is it uh, two in a row? Two in a row. 
And he's going up against a guy also looking to get back to winning ways, a unretired for the second time. The second time, Alexander Gustafson, yeah. back in his uh, original division, the division he's known for at light heavyweight. I don't know what to think of this fight. No, this this really came out of left field when it got announced. Two guys that have been in the UFC for a long time. Nikita Krylov came in; he was 21 years old in 2013. <sighs> Gus debuted in 2009. Back when the UFC, I was looking when I was taking my notes, UFC was still naming their damn pay-per-views at that point. So wow. he's been in the UFC for That's that crazy. long, man, and been in two phenomenal title fights with Daniel Cormier and John Jones. Even has fought for a third time for the title. Unfortunately, 0-3 in those fights. He's retired twice. He made a debut at uh, heavyweight in 2020. Crazy to believe that was already two yeah. years ago. Got heel-hooked by Fabricio Verdum. Retired again. Now he's back. Like Noah said, I don't know what to make of it. He's obviously going to be the bigger guy uh, than Nikita. Nikita Krylov, hardly ever in a boring fight. The guys went the distance three times in like 40 fights. Um, it's, still, you... it's still the most mind-blowing fact to me yeah. that I think he has 27 wins. Yeah. 26 of them are by finish. 26 by finish. And what's so weird was I literally said it on this podcast. I like had this this image of Krylov as like a, kind of a boring fighter Yeah, when all he does is just scrap. He had that three fight kind of thing that I think was fresh of mind that he went. It was distance, fresh of you mind. Know? And but, I think I just hadn't thought of him too much yeah. before that. So yeah. uh, luckily a viewer called me out on my BS. I yes. was able to kind of turn right. it around with them. But what do you make of this? Like Gus coming out of retirement again? So it's always kind I of, wanna, like, I want to believe Gus still has something left because even the heavyweight debut, like he kind of just got caught. He kind of got, yeah. like, it, it kind of just happened. You're going up against a guy, Fabrizio Verdum, who's so lethal on the ground. You kind of fall into, like, a takedown. It was like a weird scramble. He's on his back. It was just, it was bad news. Like, you, the one place you couldn't end up, you ended up in the first two <laughs> minutes of the fight. Yeah. And it was by somewhat, I don't want to say lucky, but it was a scramble, kind of a wild It's like the Hermanson Gastelum we were talking about. A little about. bit. And when he retired at light heavyweight, I felt like he was leaving while he still had plenty left. I think I he lost losing to Anthony Smith, if, if memory serves me right. And Anthony Smith is still one of the best in the division. Yep. I want to believe Gustafson has something left. Yeah. And this is a good, I think it's a great matchup to find that out because neither guy is doing too hot. True. I mean, Gustafson's coming. He's three straight losses. Yep. Obviously, those date back 2020. The last all via finish, fought. too. Yeah, all via finish. One of those was for the title, John Jones. Um, the Anthony Smith one was probably more competitive until it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And then Fabricio was just like a blink and you miss it. Krylov is coming off the Paul Craig uh, submission loss, correct? That the yep. last UFC London show. Yeah. Um, Mikok, obviously. <laughs> of course. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about uh, him shortly. <laughs> yeah, so. Krylov, it feels like he's not the best version of himself anymore, for sure. Yeah, He seems to, like, I'm seeing the clear signs of a regression. In it's fight years for him, man, yeah, too. Yeah, it you is. Know? I mean, he's, he's only super, 30. Because he's been super active. Yes, yeah. But you're just, it's not even the losses. It's even his wins are kind of like the Johnny Walker win. Yeah. Yes, Johnny Walker, good fighter. It's a solid win. But the fight just was so just unfulfilling. And mm-hmm. 
Krylov just isn't that fighter. So it's like kind of a sign, I think, of of things to come. But he is going up against a guy who is clearly best days are behind him, yeah. Gustafson. Yeah. But I just wonder if Gustafson like is he taking this fight because he just does he want when you, when to you fight? retire multiple times and you come back, it usually doesn't bode well. Right. Usually, and maybe it's it could be because you need the money or because you really do miss it. But like, there's a reason that the retirements keep coming. Yeah. You know, for a guy like him, who it's not like he had all these losses. He had back to back losses when he retired the first time. Tries to come back at heavyweight, loses again, retires again. Like. It's not BJ Penn losing 10 fights in a row and, you know, contemplating retirement. Yeah. He felt like he still had plenty left when he walked away. So was his heart not in it anymore? Well, is it now? Exactly. Like that just, there's so many variables here that it's a hard fight to really get a, get, get a grasp on. Yeah. But I do think it adds to an excitement because, again, it might be a dull-ass affair. It could but be. I also feel like more than likely someone's going to have a pretty big showing is what I think. I think someone's going to go down. Yeah, that's what I think. Um, anything else on that fight? That's all I got. We'll talk about it on the bet slip. Yeah. Meatball Molly is back after her knockout of the year contender against Luana Carolina. <laughs> and she's taking on Hannah Goldie. Yeah. So interesting enough, Dom, Molly McCann, a heavy favorite. One of the bigger favorites on the card. Minus 390, I believe, as we're recording. And Hannah Goldie, not a pushover. I mean, a pretty tough fighter in her own right. Do you feel like these odds are inflated purely because of Molly's last performance? Or is that really just how you evaluate this matchup, that it's Molly McCann or bust, essentially? Uh, it's got to be that that last fight coming into play here. She looked great against Luana. It was in London. Then, of course, the knockout. It's on the knockout of the year list. But minus three ninety to plus three twenty on the comeback for Hannah. Oof, that's steep for women's MMA, man. Like especially here, it's like you know they're kind of like borderline ranked, but they're not ranked. There's a lot of people at women's fight that are like have done a lot more that are not ranked that are above these two. So. I like the fight. I think it's fun. Molly's never been in a boring fight. So that, you know, I am happy with. And, of course, she's a great striker. I think she has the advantage there striking. But other than that, in terms of, like, a well-roundedness, Hannah Goldie's not bad, guys. She's 6-2, and 1-2 and two in the UFC, but it's been against a good competition. She won on the Contender Series. She's only 30 years old. So I think it's a hard test for Molly. Um, Molly should be the favorite. But, again, minus 390, it's almost like, you can't bet a straight up minus three ninety, but do you even want to risk a parlay on a minus three ninety when it's you know this type of fight here? It, this is kind of an iffy one, guys. But. And I think if you want to look at it from a betting perspective, since I don't think either of us have any action on this one, we can kind of talk about it like that. Um, Molly McCann, sixteen professional bouts, ten of them have went to a decision. Yeah. Hannah Goldie, eight professional bouts, six of them have went the distance. What's imp- what I'm getting at here is not, you know, oh, bet on this fight to go to distance. Well, the odds for that are pretty stacked as well, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to me, why I avoid this fight is this is likely going to be a very close decision yep. fight either way. True. So truthfully, I mean, that kind of adds to maybe putting something on Hannah Goldie. I yeah. think Molly McCann should win this fight. 
I she, she's got a lot of momentum on her side with that last. I'm sure confidence has got to be an all-time high. Mm-hmm. But let's be clear, that win, while exceptional against Luena, was a bit of an outlier of her of her career in the UFC. She has been popular in the UFC yeah. before, but she was kind of popular in it. Like I felt like for a while there, we were kind of questioning how much Molly McCann had left in the UFC. Mm-hmm. You know, she lost back to back fights: Taylor Santos, Laura Procopio. It, it felt like her career was kind of at a crossroads. I remember hearing people online kind of saying uh, she might retire soon. Mm-hmm. But then she's bounced off two great wins, Ji Yun Kim and Luena. So she's definitely revitalized. She's kind of re- put a put a little bit of life into her career here. So we'll see how far she can take that. Yeah. But I'm just I'm hesitant to fully commit when you know Hannah Goldie. I think the one and two is a little misleading. Yeah, and, I would agree. And and I do think that uh, this has the makings of a super close decision fight. And maybe the judges get it wrong. I mean, you win one round and the judge, another judge thinks you won a second and all of a sudden you won a fight. I mean, it's just... Like when I cashed that plus 220 with Vanessa Demopoulos, baby. Well said. <laughs> Lastly here. Here we Paul, go. Paul Craig. That's it's right. Mico- it's Mikok. Insert it. You already know. <laughs> you are sporting the traditional Scottish kilt. What is under? Yes, please. You want to see? It's my... It's my... It's my... Your kibbles and bits? It's my... It's my cock. No. He's taking on Vulcan Uzdemir, number eight versus number nine. And Dominic, this might be my second or third most anticipated fight on this card. I am very excited for this fight. Yeah, this is super fun. It's hard to be not excited for a Paul Craig fight. Absolutely. Because this guy puts his cork on the table. <laughs> he does. And win or lose, I mean, well, sometimes he does both in a fight. Like, True. He, he just did it. He I snatches guess. a win from the jaws of defeat, and sometimes he's winning a fight, and all of a sudden he loses. Like, he yep. just – this guy is so exciting to watch. But even though we talk about some of the losses, he hasn't done it in a while. He's won four in a row, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, most of those are probably via finish, if not all of them. Every one of his wins ever has been by finish. Thank you for that <laughs> stat guy, Dom, there. That's all right. And here, though, what I love about this fight is clear stylistic oh, yeah. the, the oh, yeah. matchup here. Yeah. I mean, Paul Craig, we know what he's going to want to do here. I mean, he you may rock him. You may knock him down. Or knock you go him down. down yeah, you may, if you go down into his world, though, You're done. he's going to fuck you up with some <laughs> – Head triangle, he's going to snap your arm, he's going to elbow you to fucking Timbuktu. Yeah. And then you got Vulcan Uzdemir, former title challenger. Talk about a got fast rise. Some literal boulders for hands. The guy, fast rise, like you said, hasn't had the best of runs since the loss, Mm-mm. but very competitive in most of his losses. I mean, the yep. Yuri Prohaska fight, he nearly won that fight at points. And, yeah. Um, it's because his power is just exceptional. And yeah. even when it comes to like a technical affair, yeah, against Ankalaev, he was kind of a step behind. But, you know, his fights with like, he's fought Rakic and Dominic Reyes, correct? Yes, so, he has fought both of those. Uh, the he Ray- lost to Reyes, he beat Rakic. Like, that Rakic one has got to say something about what yeah. he's capable of. And then the Reyes loss, I remember, was very controversial. A lot of people thought he won that fight. Yeah. Um, but regardless, 
clear division in how this fight is going to, who's going to want this fight to go where. Dominic, are you, are you feeling any certain way about this fight? Oh, the people are going to see it here in just a second, buddy, on the bet slip. Let me just throw the last little fun thing about this. Uh, Vulcan Uzdemir. Paul Craig has 16 professional wins. Vulcan Uzdemir has 17. 13 of those wins for Paul Craig of his 16 are by submission. Yeah. 12 of Vulcan's 17 wins are via knockout. Striker grappler, huh? <laughs> it ain't going distance, I can tell you guys that. Yeah, again, bold last words, one. potentially. Yep, yeah, yep. yeah, yep. Yeah, we'll never forget. Um, okay. Let's move on to the bet slip, Dom, because I'm kind of uh, I'm jerking you around a little bit. I'm trying to make you give your betting thoughts when it's not even time for I it. I know, I'm what trying the to build the uh, anticipation, the drum roll, but the, here we go. What the fuck's wrong with me, you know? Just... Yeah, take it easy. So clearly, once again, color-coded, the green come from DraftKings, the blue <laughs> come from FanDuel. That's right. So, Dominic, start at the top. This is you right here. Yeah, these are me. I had three money line plays this week. Noah left me hanging. Didn't have one single money line this week. Um, Guys, I just want to preface, UFC London Part 1 in March was, I believe, my best personal betting weekend of the year thus far, if I'm not mistaken. It's definitely up there if it's not. So I'm hoping to carry that momentum in, and the guy at the top of the marquee, uh, is the same main eventer as well. But it starts with Mr. Paul Craig because he also fought on the first UFC London card, and he was a plus 160, I believe, at that yeah, time. I think it was 160. Uh, I've never clinched my asshole more trying to get a bet to cash than that one, but he clinches a win from the depths of defeat, pulls off the triangle choke in the first round against Nikita Krylov, also on this card. I love all the repeaters on here. Um, and now... You're giving me plus odds again? Because if you go back and watch the, at the time, nosebleeds for UFC London Part 1, I said the same thing. You're giving me plus odds on Paul Craig, who's on a six-fight unbeaten streak. Five of those via uh, stop, or all of his wins via stoppage, but five of them are wins. And he's going up against Vulcan Uzdemir, who I get it has the power to put Craig down. I, I realize that. I get that it's part of the risk. But it's momentum here for me, and Vulcan has not looked like the Vulcan of the title rise that he had when he fought DC in 2018. So for that reason alone, if you're in Paul Craig's realm, and even if you're not starting there, he will bring you there if he wants you there. He's going to win this fight if it's on the ground against Vulcan. There's no ifs, there's no ands, there's no buts. So yes, am I banking on Paul Craig to get it down to the ground? I am. But I believe in him because he's done it five times in a row, and I think he's going to do it again here. Plus 135. That'd be a big start to the bet slip here. We move in to minus 105, Mr. Chris Curtis. Uh, me and Noah both rode with him against Adolfo Vieira, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So, jump ship. Yeah, I think he was minus 135 in that. He closes here at minus 105. We talked about the odds earlier in the show. Again, I just feel like when we were breaking down the fight, when you really analyze it and where it's going to take place, if Hermanson cannot get this fight on the ground, which Chris Curtis has proven, again, 26-26 in the UFC with takedown defense. It shouldn't be a problem for him to keep it on the feet. And if it stays on the feet, I just think his striking is a little bit more ahead of Jack Hermanson to get him definitely to a decision win, but I could see a stoppage in this fight on Chris Curtis' side as well with a knockout. The dude's got 16 of them in his career, but he's not afraid to go the distance as well. So I love that play there. And then the third and final money line play, Again, it cashed at UFC London in March. 
I'm banking on it to cash again. Minus 130. Tom, all. I couldn't get him at plus odds this time around, but pretty close to plus odds, so I'll take it. Listen, guys, this is a sick fight. I love everything about it. It checks all the boxes for me as a fan. I'm more Aspinall. I understand that. But again, regardless of how much I like a fighter, I don't place money on them unless I truly believe they can win. And I believe that Aspinall is the more well-rounded guy, as Noah said when we broke this fight down. On the feet, he's quicker, he's more technical, carries just as much power as Curtis Blades to put someone down. And if it gets to the ground, I'm... I'm very intrigued to see how he can do against Curtis Blades because Blades has shown no weaknesses with his top pressure. His ground and pound is second to none. Aspinall, a black belt in jiu-jitsu, I know it's not always the answer to a top-heavy wrestler, but I do believe that if it does get there, he can get back up, or he may just keep it from getting there in the first place with some takedown defense. So I'm very excited to see how it plays out. I'm willing to take a chance on Tom Aspinall because I believe, and ever since day one I've believed, that he is the future and a future title holder. Those are the money line plays. Oh, Dom, always so eloquent with his betting picks. I apologize. I will be much faster here. Craig Uzdemir does not start round three, 1.52 units at minus 152. Um, yeah, I mean, are you so, Are you telling me that? I mean, you not, just said it, right? You're telling me that's not smart pick right there? I mean, come on. <laughs> Herbert Nelson does not start round three. Me and Dom both teaming up for this one. I actually – kind of piggybacked on when he sent this to me. I was like, oh, that one sounds pretty good. <laughs> Minus 138, so 2.38 units in total. 1.38 of that, of course, be in mind. Um, Jai Herbert and Kyle Nelson, both have had tough runs in the UFC, but both probably better than their records suggest. Especially Jai Herbert for me. I think he's just had a tough draw. Yeah. One and three, he looked really good early against Tuporia. Um, he had a big reach advantage against Tuporia, and that kind of gave him fits for a while until Tuporia sent him to the land of wind and ghost. Um, here he has a six-inch reach advantage over Kyle Nelson, but Kyle Nelson does have more of a well-rounded game. Does not start round three. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, I love it. Nikita Krylov and Alexander Gustafsson under two and a half rounds. I don't know what's going to happen in this fight, but I don't think it's going to a decision. I think someone's going to come in here looking – rejuvenated, revitalized, whatever it might be. It's minus 126. Again, this is a tough card for me, to be honest. Like, I really didn't love this card from a betting perspective. I'm kind of hanging myself out to dry a lot of minus money for me here. Um, I tried to even that out with the parlay later, but it's just I like to make it a little more of a balance with the plus and minus money because if a couple of these don't hit, I mean, I'm really working from behind. So yeah, very much. It's uh, it's uh, They're risky, but... You know, you just got to go with the smart plays here. And Krylov Gustafson under two and a half rounds, I mean, it just seems like a very reasonable pick for guys that just aren't known for going to distance. Right, exactly. So I'm going with another under. I'm going back to the main event, Curtis Blades, Tom Aspinall, under three and a half rounds at minus 175. I think that's great value. I really do because Tom Aspinall has never went to, um, to a decision ever in his career. He's had 14 professional fights. But for Curtis Blades... Contrary to popular belief, guys, he does have 11 KOTKOs, and he's been finished three times by knockout. So out of 19 fights, he's went the distance, I think, maybe four or five times. Five times, yeah, that's the math. Five times he's went the distance ever. And I do think that, again, should Tom Aspinall lose, I think it's because Curtis Blades is going to look really good, which means I think he looks really good on the top, which means he's raining down ground and pound 
and I think he can actually get Tom Aspinall out of there via finish. And it three and a half bleeds into the fourth, which I feel comfortable. That gives me quite a bit of time. Blades, this is going to be his sixth main event, so he's had five prior. Only one has went the distance, and it was with Alexander Volkov that went the full five rounds. So I like that one there to end early. And should Tom Aspinall lose, hopefully make up a little bit more ground so I don't go completely in the hole with a unit. And the final single play, Krylov Gustafson inside the distance. I didn't get as ballsy as Noah. I wanted the extra two and a half minutes, I guess. To be fair, I guess I just didn't really see the other play. But we both think it's not going the distance. Krylov's went the distance three times in 36 fights. Gustafson's went the distance six times in over 25 fights. So someone's going to get finished. I don't think the loser's going to look not great, meaning the winner should make it look relatively easy. Well said. Parlays. We got four of them. I'm going to go ahead and do my two, and then we'll end with your two. So the big one for me, the Moneyline Parlay, Patty Pimblett and Tom Aspinall. Um, I could have done Tom Moneyline as like a single, but again, I wanted some plus money on here. These are two guys I'm very confident in on this card, even though, again, Curtis Blades is a real threat. He is, and he should not be overlooked in this matchup. But I feel like Tom Aspinall's time is is here. It's, yeah. I believe I I was late to the party, but I firmly believe this guy is a a title challenger in the making, and um, I think a win over Curtis Blades is going to be the 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 thing that really shoots him into that title conversation if he's not already. Um, Batty Pimblett again. I think Jordan Levitt's a very proper opponent for third fight in the UFC, coming off the wins he's had. But I also think Patty Pimblett's just a more well-rounded fighter. Might even be better at what the Monkey King excels at. No twerking will be done in the cage unless Patty decides to Ooh. steal to steal his finishing move. I don't know. He could do that. That's plus one forty-nine. So I do get some plus money there. So I'm hoping you know parlays though they're dicey dicey. But the last one, this one I kind of got. I got a little quirky for this one. <laughs> 1.39 units at minus 139. I did Muhammad Mahayev money line and Nathaniel Wood money line as the first two legs. Again, two guys that I highly favor to win their fights. I will say Mahayev's opponent is a sneaky, oh, yeah. sneaky guy. Charles Johnson, I believe is his name. Uh, he is an LFA mainstay. He actually has a decision loss to uh, Raw Dog Roy Val, so shout yep. out to him. But a guy who's on a great win streak, has fought good competition for regional uh I guess regional cards, all LFA. Uh, but I do think Mohayev is the future of the flyweight division. Uh, I think that dude's just so talented. Um, I think he gets it done. Nathaniel Wood is taking on um, Charles Rosa. Yes, me. yes. Charles Rosa is 5-7 and seven in the UFC. He is – he's never really out of a fight. Yeah. But he's just – it's not been pretty as of late for him. He's just – He's been kind of used as a stepping stone for a lot of these guys that are looking to really put on a good showing before maybe a top 15. Mm-hmm. You know, Bryce Mitchell kind of tossed him around at UFC 249. Uh, Nathaniel Wood, I do think, is a guy that's very talented, uh, very talented striker. He's he's just very good, very good fighter. And I do think that a win over uh, Charles Rosa could open some eyes to maybe and open some doors for him that otherwise people have sort of been kind of sleeping on his name. And I, I think he's kind of deserving of some hype in this European scene that's on the come up right now. Um, in the last leg, well, I guess I do have action on this fight. And that's because Molly McCann, Hannah Goldie, I have over one and a half rounds. I literally 
wanted a third leg on this one to make it worth my time. And I said, what fight would I bank on going over a round and a half? And this was the fight I saw, and I was like, I think that one surely goes over a round and a half. Obviously, Molly McCann showing some, you know, some signs of some real knockout power. Hannah Goldie, surely only two finishes in eight fights, but Molly McCann also 10 decisions in 16 fights, I think I said. So uh, not a high finishing rate for either woman. But um, yeah, over one and a half rounds, you can still get a finish, but pretty sure Molly got her knockout like late in the round two against Luana. It was late round three. It ruined my parlay. that's right, late round three. So um, I think it's pretty solid, minus 139, book it. I like that a lot. And finishing it off with two money line parlays. I really like this method for me. It's been more successful than me trying three and four leggers. So the first one, uh, I'll go with the better odds first. So minus 139, Muhammad Mohaev. Much of the same to what Noah said. I do believe this guy is the future of the flyweight division. Sneaky underdog play if you want to get risky for Charles Johnson. It really is. But I think Muhammad's going to show that there are levels to this game uh, in the debut for Charles Johnson in the UFC. And of course, Patty the Batty Pimblet. I think it's going to be a pretty cool fight. I really hope we get to see Patty on the ground. But I do believe, again, the more well-rounded fighter, better everywhere. If it stays on the feet, I think he gets it done pretty quickly and pretty easily. Dare I say the easiest a UFC fight that he's had thus far. Again, Ooh, if, if... That's that's a pretty... That's a big... I mean... If it stays on not, the feet. I guess in a way it's not like a big if because he's nearly been finished in both fights. <laughs> also but, true. Just um, don't get rocked and it's the yeah, easiest one. But I, I mean, I, it, it is ballsy to say that because it is his toughest fight, you know. Yeah, yeah. If it goes to the ground, different story. I like I that still... though, Dom, yeah. because I mean, it's really not that ballsy when you consider he <laughs> got rocked both times. Yeah. But, you know, I, hey, I like it. He gets it. He gets it. Uh, and then the last one to finish off the bet slip, minus 147, Marge Casey. Interesting career, interesting guy, super athletic, freak specimen physically, but he's never quite put all the pieces together. But he sure the hell did at UFC Columbus. When he destroyed Slava Claus right in front of me, I saw a bet wither away from the bet slip, slowly but surely. I I had Slava Claus by finish in that I got to tell the viewers the story about that. Please do. You were right next to me. Well, this is true. (laughs) And also, just to be clear, like – Dominic, I remember, had the hardest time pronouncing his last name for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Which is, how do you pronounce it, Dom? It's, it's... Jacasey. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad you. I was going to put you on the spot because I thought you kept calling him Mark, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this motherfucker still doesn't know how to yeah. say his last name. I think the, I think one time he was talking about me, he's like, Mark Diakisi. <laughs> and I was like, huh? <laughs> Who are you talking about? Yeah. But um, Mark Jacasey, yes, uh, the, the, the story is, not only did that ruin Dom's bet of Slava Claus by finish, but Dominic was so he he was playing Call of Duty the night before. Oh, dude, yes. Oh and then God. some guy in the chat and Dominic never chats. He's never you know he's I kind of just do he, my he thing. Keep, he keeps to himself. But this guy goes gets on there and goes, "Who has a sport bet? Like, give yeah. me on the sport bet." So Dominic gets on the mic and says. I said it really. I went, yeah, Charles let Borch let my decision. <laughs> he, said he, said, he goes, what? what? <laughs> you, you were like trying to say, uh, it's, uh, oh my God, now I can't think of the name that you, uh, Kennedy and Chekawani. Kennedy and Chekawani. <laughs> so you're yeah. just like rapid fire getting yes. those names out. Yeah. But, um, 
you say it, yeah, that guy's like, who the fuck are you talking about? Bets it because Dominic is so persistent. He's like, no, go to DraftKings. Yeah, it's it's plus money. It's Borschev. Yeah, that one. By finish, not just a win. By finish, and then it was like thirty twenty six across the board. He got destroyed. Yeah, so that alone, I'm betting Mark Jacasey. But seriously, I think he's the more well-rounded fighter. Again, after what I saw in that one, coming into this against Demir Hadzovic, Demir has not showed me much. Three and three in the UFC. I just think Mark's better everywhere. The younger guy, the higher potential. I think he gets it done. And Mason Jones, mm. the other Welshman, you got him and you got Jack Swart leading the charge. Hopefully they don't go 0-2 back-to-back for Oof. the country's sake and for the bet slip's sake. I really <laughs> do believe in Mason Jones, even though he's had a weird UFC career. One and one with one no contest. His lone win was against David Onama, funny enough. but he's going a great up fight. Against, it was a sick fight. He's going up against Ludovic Klein here. Ludovic's a good kickboxer, which makes me a little nervous because Mason Jones can get hit. But Mason Jones, the all-around better fighter, I think he has a very high ceiling. I believe in this kid. It is a uh, upper weight class. It's kind of a short notice type deal here. Mason's going to be significantly bigger in this fight. I think he really puts together a performance in front of the UK crowd and gets it done. That's the bet slip. Wow. What a moment. A lot of plays this week. This is a lot of play. And I mean, you're really doing the heavy lifting. I think you have seven to my five. Mm. I've always, I've always told myself, as long as you get five plays, like you're good. Yeah. But it was a struggle to get the five this week. I'm being honest. That, but you that, don't feel like you forced anything at the no, end of the day. No, I didn't. Even though that one parlay is a Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> like yeah. I am confident in it. Yeah. It's just like, I usually, <laughs> I'm kind of weird with my parlays. I kind of like them to be pretty. I like them to be all money line or all over unders or whatever. Yeah. So when I get and three legs, get scary. Three legs again. It's a, it's a little out of my comfort zone, but I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Inevitably, you know, Charles Johnson's gonna like one punch KO Mahayev, <laughs> but you know, it's it, it is what it is. But. Um, I personally did not love this card for betting, obviously, I think, because I think we kind of flipped roles from last week. Last week, you were very... Yeah, I only had four plays last week. You didn't love Long Island. Yeah. I was, like, loving it. Yeah. Here, we're, like, flipped. So, yep. it's uh, it's kind of good, though, that one of us feels very good about the card as a whole. Good vibes only around here. Damn right. Now, let's end this show, Dom, with the only way we know how, and that's with closing statements the point of the show where me and Dom can get anything and everything off our chest, MMA related or not. So Dominic, do you have any closing statements for this Friday edition? I got nothing. I got nothing. Well, I'll take the lead here and just say stranger things season four. I finally took the plunge. Of course. I am on the finale. Literally when we get off here, I'm going to order some roosters. Oh no. And I'm going to watch that two-hour and 20-minute finale. That's gonna, a night right there. Oh, I'm going to laugh. I'm going to cry. You will cry. I'm going to smile. Everything in between. I hope. I'm like reading Dom's face like, wait, am I not going to smile? Is this like, is everybody going to die? Okay, <laughs> everybody, well. the whole scale. I, uh, while I did have some stuff spoiled, you know, due to the rabid Facebook fan base. <laughs> yeah, yes. Suck. Suck so bad if you're if you're watching this and you share Stranger Thing memes on Facebook, you should be ashamed, and I'm sure your parents are disappointed in you. <laughs> um, but Stranger Thing season four has been really good. 
I was gonna say fantastic, but I'll, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta, it's gotta stick to landing, you know. Yeah, you get to let everybody know on Monday. That's yeah, exciting. Well, I will update everybody on Monday with the finale, but you know, I got to see the all of the first part, and then obviously mm-hmm. I've seen. Um, there are, I feel like there's a lot of filler. Like these episodes are pretty long. Yeah, I told Dom, while each episode in of itself has like an awesome moment or something that I love about it. I feel like you could shut off like 10, 15 minutes in every episode and you'd still have a very mm-hmm. great season. I feel like they kind of made it, they wanted it to feel bigger. So I feel like that's why they inflated the episode lengths just because it's a lot longer than Yeah, been a long seasons. time. Yeah. But um, there's some terrific stuff in here. I mean, the performances are fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's my kind of shit. You know, it's, I, I'm very, like, I, like I've said before, like I get... I, I watched so many '80s and '90s movies that I feel somewhat so nostalgic for this like time period. This is when my dad was in high school. Yeah, you know, this isn't my time period at all. But it's just so cool to see how they really they, they really nail bring it. That, they bring that time period to life, and then yeah. you know, I, I grew up watching movies like ET, and mm-hmm. there was actually a really underrated movie I saw in theaters like ten years ago called Super Eight. That was also about kids like fighting monsters. Steven Spielberg, executive produced it. Yeah. Um, I just always have had like the Goonies. The, yeah, that's what I was about to say. I've always loved this concept of like kids or teens teaming up, yep. friendship, fight to take on the big baddie, whatever it is. Yep. And here, like, you know, is it realistic that this random group of kids in Hawkins, Indiana, have defeated the forces of evil for like? Four seasons in a row, maybe not, but I don't yeah. care. I love it. I love exactly. It. But I'm Noah Baker. That's Dominic Salee. We're the Below Average Joes. It's getting a little dark out. We'll see you guys on Monday. <laughs> <laughs>